Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said podcast presented by Better Than Dot Vegas. We're going to talk a little baseball today. We'll check in with everything happening over the last uh, week or so and see who's made some movement, who's playing well, who is not, what do the playoff situation scenarios look like as we head to the last 50 games or so for most of these teams. We'll get into Wednesday and Thursday racing. We'll hit Wednesday Saratoga, Thursday Saratoga, Thursday Del Mar, and we close things out with the old wrestling rewatch, WrestleMania 30, one of my personal favorite WrestleManias, Daniel Bryan, double duty, opening things up and then closing things out. WrestleMania, Daniel Bryan, obviously hot in the news right now. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali join for the old wrestling rewatch and this episode of That's What G Said is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas, which is a website that provides a bunch of different gambling content for you, and it's totally free. Uh, on that website, you'll see videos from different handicappers and gamblers all over the world. They'll post selections for each day, some of their reasons why they're playing certain teams, horses, uh, players in, in whatever sports, totals, over-unders, props, you name it. You're going to get all different kinds of wagers, handicapping angles, totally free. So every day before you go to make your wagers, check it out. Look into some of the different handicappers. You can subscribe to different channels. If you subscribe to mine, every time I do a video, um, you'll get it alerted immediately so you can see who my plays are for each day. I won the weekly showdown again last week. That is free to enter. If you are someone who likes to... You know, if you gamble, if you have content out there yourself, if you register at BTV better than Dot Vegas and you post videos yourself, it's totally free and you will become a part of the weekly showdown if you just have three plays each week. And whoever ends up having the best ROI ends up winning 250 bucks. Totally free. So they give away money. Every night when you follow their Twitter account, at BTV Bets on Twitter, they have different giveaways for props, different games happening. They love helping you out better than Dot Vegas. So, let's talk a little baseball as we uh, look at the current standings right now. What a week over in the uh, National League, uh, the American League East, excuse me, as Tampa is now 4 games up on the Red Sox Yankees dealing with a lot of COVID issues they're two games behind the Red Sox though only one game behind them in the loss column red hot Toronto Blue Jays they're eight and two in their last 10 so as the Red Sox have gone two and eight the Rays Yankees and Blue Jays all went eight and two at a brutal time right after the trade deadline when all the teams around the Red Sox got a little bit better and they did not White Sox with a 10 and a half game lead in the division Oakland A's playing some good ball. They've won four straight. They're only two behind the Astros in the American League West. And then the National League, the Phillies are playing the best baseball in the league right now. They're, uh, they've won eight in a row, and they run into a, a series with the Dodgers starting on Tuesday. Braves playing some good ball, and the Mets are not. They've lost four straight. They are now third in the division. Brewers six up on the Reds, who are hanging around in the wild card discussion. And everyone keeps expecting the Giants to come back to life, start losing. But no, they just keep winning. 7-3 in their last 10, 
30 games over 500 right now. It's 71 and 41, and they've got a four game lead on the Dodgers still. Although, getting to some of the Fangraphs projections, Fangraphs still has the Dodgers winning the division at 98 wins and the Giants finishing at 96, like 96.7 wins. Padres finishing at 90.1 wins. And then every other division doesn't really have a whole lot of change. So the Phillies are are projected now to win the NL East with 80 just just about 86 wins. Braves at 83 and a half and the Mets at 83 cuz the Mets can't hit right now. We're getting into some of the specifics in a minute. And the NL Central Brewers are projected by FanGraphs to end up winning the division by basically 6 games there, winning 93 games. And uh, they got the Reds finishing at 88 wins. And then the American League. So this is where it's interesting. In the American League East, the Red Sox are still supposed to finish second with 92 wins. And then the Yankees just behind them with 90. And the Blue Jays just behind them with uh, the Yankees with 90.6. Blue Jays with 90.4. So right behind them. We'll see if the uh, the Red Sox can hold strong with Sale coming back. In the American League Central, they've got the uh, the White Sox with an easy victory, um, ninety four wins over uh, the uh, Indians, who they don't even have getting to five hundred. And then the AL West looks like uh, Fangraphs likes the Astros beating the A's by five games there. So that is some of the projections. Now again, remember they're they're just projections as we look at power rankings for last week so the teams in the top tier right now were the Giants Dodgers White Sox and Rays and you look at the Dodgers so they add Trey Turner they add Max Scherzer Giants add Chris Bryant and the Giants have won four straight series they beat the Dodgers Astros and Brewers in in combinations of four series but the Dodgers they they bring in Trey Turner Seager gets back from from his injury and then Mookie's still banged up. He's not playing now. Justin Turner's going to be day-to-day. Kershaw had a setback. Joe Kelly goes on the injured list. They've just, they're deep. They keep bringing in new faces or bringing up new players. And Corey Kniebel hopefully coming back soon. It, they just, unfortunately, it's just never been a situation where they've had all, all hands on deck yet. We'll see what happens with Cole Hamels. Supposed to be coming in soon. 14 pitchers currently on the injured list for the Dodgers. Can they climb that that hill, though? So when you look at um, some of the metrics, that um, like the advanced metrics, one of them there's a, a luck metric for, you know, teams, have they been unlucky or have they been overly lucky as far as, you know, winning close games or metrics that don't really hold up? The Dodgers have a minus eight in luck. And the Giants have a, 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 an even minus eight all those close losses all those extra inning losses can they get healthy big week coming up Phillies and the Mets so the Rays awesome week they sweep Boston a couple weekends ago then uh, a couple four game win streaks they have another big series coming up with Boston this week who we mentioned Boston's really struggling right now we'll get to them in a second you got the White Sox they're just gonna float around right now when you got a 10 game advantage in the division it's hard to stay sharp but they're getting a lot of their reserves back which is going to help 
Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert coming back soon. So they'll play the Yankees, A's, Rays, and Blue Jays coming up, which will be tough. It'll be a good test for them. Then below them, you've got teams that aren't playing that well right now. Good teams that aren't playing well, like the Astros, Padres, and the Red Sox. And then you've got other teams on the way up. You know, you've got the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the A's playing well. So Red Sox have won three of their last 13. They were almost swept by the Blue Jays. They added Kyle Schwarber, and now he's got a groin issue during rehab. So Chris Sale's going to come back on Saturday. That should help them, but how much? You've got uh, the A's are 8-3 and three in their last 11, but they just lost Ramon Laureano, suspended for 80 games. So they need a lot from Starling Marte. They're uh, leading the uh, AL wild card. Let's see. Uh, yeah, the end of the month, White Sox, Giants, Mariners, Yankees. Those will be a couple of uh, tough series. Yankees are playing well, but they just have... They're, they're in the middle of a big COVID outbreak. They've won 10 of 13. Rizzo and Gallo have been playing good, but now Gallo's out with Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery, Garrett Sanchez, all on the COVID list. Luis Gill has been unbelievable in his two start, uh, starts so far. And then you got the Blue Jays. They are nine and two in their last eleven. Um, they outscored their opponents by over twenty five uh, by twenty five runs, twenty six. They have the best run differential in the American League, but they're still fourth in the wild card race. So. That's hurt them. Padres are looking at bringing Tatis back into the outfield with a shoulder injury. He could be coming back soon. They play the Marlins, Diamondbacks, and Rockies coming up. They're struggling a little bit, the uh, the Padres. they got to be careful. And now the teams in the NL East, it's a complete wild, wild East over there. See what I did there? See what I did? With uh, the Braves and Phillies now in contention, the Mets played 15 games in 14 days, and they went 4-11. and They were swept by the Phillies, and DeGrom hasn't pitched since the All-Star break. They've scored 3.7 runs per game in the second half. They added Baez, but they just can't score. This is a reading right from the Fancraft's power rankings. They've seen their playoff odds fall from around 75% to just 21%. They played the Nationals, then the Dodgers, and the Giants, alternating series. Dodgers, Giants, Dodgers, Giants. Phillies are the team that's just playing some great ball. Eight straight. They were two games under 500 when August started, and now they keep playing well. They, they make the playoffs. They win the division. Harper's been incredible as of late. Four home runs last week. They brought in Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy. That gives them a little depth in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. They, de- they need more, though. Wheeler's been good, and Nola's been really still inconsistent. And in the Braves, you know what? They did the best they could at the trade deadline. They bring in Soler, who's really looked good. They added everything they could. And uh, the Reds, they got hot at the right time. 10-3 and over the last two weeks. Just two and a half games out in the wild card. Joey Power, uh, Joey Power, Joey Votto, Moustakis, Castellanos, Castillo had been pitching well until recently. And then the, the Mariners, who are trying to stay in the mix there too. And then that's really all of the contenders, you know, behind them. You got teams that, you know, like the Cardinals, who are still, uh, unfortunately, you know, doing the trying. They add arms, but, you know, who knows what you're going to get from Jack Flaherty and Miles Mikolas if they come back. 8-19 and 19 in April, but the Tigers had have a winning record in every month since. So 
definitely a team to keep an eye on for next year. They scored the most runs in baseball during the month of July. Started off August with a series win against the Red Sox. And the Rockies playing really well. 7-3 in their last 10, six-game homestand. They scored 55 runs. 38-21 and 21 at home this year. So, fun, uh, fun team to keep an eye on. That is what's been happening over the last week or so in baseball. We're now going to uh, shift the focus and talk a little horse racing. Let's get into some uh, Wednesday Saratoga, and we'll get into some Thursday Saratoga and Del Mar. First, let's talk about DRF. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Every time I'm playing the races, it's always DRF.com for me. And, and any day that I'm handicapping the races, I always head on over to StableDuel.com. I always check out my StableDuel app on my uh, my phone or on your iPad and see what the schedule is like. Remember, it's totally free to download the app and you can enter contests for whatever tracks they have available. Just pay the entry fee. Your money will come right back into your account when you win, just like uh, any of your uh, wagering accounts. Love StableDuel. Get those entries in and play, race, win. If you ever have any questions, just let me know. It's sort of like uh, when you play Daily Fantasy. They have that salary cap format. You have to put together a lineup, 10 horses, throughout a different um, racing card. A lot of fun, a lot of big money on the line over at Stable Duel. Big money coming up this week. 
over at Saratoga. I'm looking at Wednesday, Saratoga. Let's get there. Let's get the past performances out for Wednesday. Three plays for me. So I'm talking Wednesday, August the 11th. And we'll start in race number one. These are maiden special weights, uh, two-year-olds, five and a half furlongs, the distance on the turf course. I like the two here, Java Buzz, two-year-old son of uh, Mishawish. I was a big fan of this guy who was a very, very talented grade one winner. The dam was unraced, but this is the first full. She's actually a half to a horse named Great Hot and was a multiple stakes winner very, very fast. So I think it's a great combination of pedigree with one who, uh, on one side, you have one who could go a little farther on the on the turf. On the other, you have some speed. Give me Java Buzz, who seems to have a little bit of ability for a very capable barn. First time out of the box. The two, Java Buzz in race number one. If we can get anything around three to one, that's worthy of a win wager. Uh, nine to two on the morning line. We're going to flip to race number seven. I, I love a horse in here. Um, I, I kind of skipped around because I thought that, you know, there's the third race that's a stakes race, and Mr. Buff's probably going to be pretty tough in there. Nothing really crazy or outside the box to tell you. In the fourth, I thought Gotta Go Mo was going to be pretty tough, so I just don't spend a lot of time on the races where I think they're pretty chalky or uh, I'm not going to give you something that's really worth worth your time. But in the seventh, let's go to the four. These are first-level allowance, optional, claimers, and I, th- I think Earth Strike's in a great spot here. So, she has run really well in all of her starts in the U.S., and one of them she fell, lost the jock, and you can just put a line right through it. And I like the fact that she came back after that race and ran well. But in her February race, in her U.S. debut, really good second. Comes back, finishes third in a stakes race behind New Boss, who's a multiple stakes winner. Then on April the 29th, technical analysis is a uh, graded stakes winner. Cal D was actually fourth in that race. Cal D came back to win that May 28th race that Earth Strike ends up falling in. And then on uh, June the 25th, Earth Strike, fine start, but it's in tight right after the start. Is tucked back on the inside with fifth with about four lengths off and wanted to go, waiting behind horses, but just nowhere to go. Maneuvers off the rail all the way around and really got going late. Loses a photo for third. She looked like she got third. And that third place finisher, third draft, came right back to win next out optional 80 first level allowance at Saratoga. Strong finisher, earth strike. Anything around seven to two or so feels fair to me on earth strike. And then we move to race number nine. Again, another one where just a late exotic single of Jackson Traveler, who did everything he could. He took a shot against Golden Pal. He was trying to track him, and Golden Pal's just an absolute freak. Should be a really nice spot back for Jackson Traveler. I'll just single him in late exotics. So that's Wednesday for me over at Saratoga. Best of luck there with a couple different plays on that Saratoga Wednesday card as we Get set for Thursday. We'll talk a little Thursday Saratoga and some Thursday Del Mar. But before we do, we want to remind you about our friends at OldSmokeClothing.com. High-quality clothing and merchandise rooted in the iconic symbols of horse racing. Hats, t-shirts, hoodies, zip-ups, long sleeves, all sorts of different racetrack names, famous horse names, slogans, catchphrases, anything horse racing that you can think of. They've really got it over there. You're... One stop shop 
oldsmokeclothing.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. It will get you free shipping on your order from Old Smoke Clothing. Promo code G-I-N-O gets you free shipping on your order. Let's move to Thursday. We've got a couple Thursday Saratoga plays for you. Get those past performances out. On Thursday at Saratoga, we're going to start in race number two. So get those past performances out. 40 claimers going a mile and a 16th on the Melon Turf course. I thought the one flashing red should be able to sit a really nice trip from the inside. The blinker is on. Now she can go, but she could probably be best suited if she just sits maybe second or third. Candy Flower is pretty quick. Legome, I'd imagine, is going to be not too far out of it. Whimsical Muse, they're more of pressing types, and I think Candy Flower will probably go. So Flashing Red, let's see what the decision is from the inside. Maybe you can just sit nicely there. Blinks on Flashing Red. Anything in the 3-1-ish to one-ish range feels about right on for her in race number th- race number 2. Race number 3 is where we look at simply ravishing as sort of you know, the one to catch in here. I think she's probably a an early exotic single. Yeah, she's going to have to go a mile and an eighth, and she's only making her third start of, you know, her third start since November. But she's classy. It's her first start facing New York breads. She's a grade one winner, and she should have a couple lengths on the field early. Simply ravishing here. She's taken on older, but she's taken on New York breads. I think she should have a couple lengths on this field. I'm going to single her in the early exotics. In race number four, there are two horses that I, I'm going to use in, um, and I think are both kind of interesting. I'll start with Silky Blue, who... I mean, she's she's the one to catch, right? Chocolate Cookie's not really fast. Mischievous Dream isn't quick. Light in the Sky, no. Spongy's not really fast. Creasy's not really fast. These are all horses that have been running, going longer. So, by default, that means Silky Blue is going to be right on the lead, right? They should send hard here. The one to catch coming out of a productive race. Back-to-back races where you're favored in similar spots. Put a line through that last race and just give, you know, look back at those last two. I, you know, I think the plan has got to be to send. Try to get a few lengths on this field early on. Silky Blue and all exotics for me, along with the two mischievous dream. Now, she got squeezed back at the start. She was last of five in a small field. She's about six, seven lengths off. She was chasing lone speed. She angled out. She closed really well. It was a clear-cut second that day. Two starts back, she's behind Cone Lima. We've seen what she has recently done. Mischievous Dream just making her third start now since November, so she should be set to really take a step forward. She came back in May and didn't run for a couple months. Came back in July now. I think she's going to have a lot more bottom. As we move to... Race number six. This is a first-time starter in a New York bred maiden special weight for two-year-old fillies. I thought adversity. I was a big fan of her damn, Artemis Agritera. She was a five-time winner. She won her first two starts. Multiple grade one winner earned 943000 Now, she never tried the turf. And the two foals that she's produced have not tried the turf either. But look at the breeding. She's a daughter of Arrogate and Artemis Agritera. They purchased her for 335000 Sometimes it's a little better to start in these grass races because they don't come up quite as tough. Some of the better horses aim for the dirt races. And in a situation like this, this might be a horse who's just pretty well spotted. 
Adversity, who's six to one on the morning line. If she's anything over three, I think that's a great price on Adversity. Saratoga, race number six. So those are the Saratoga plays. Uh, race two, the number one. We need around three to one. Uh, race three, we'll single the two in early exotics. Race four, all uh, the six silky blue with the two mischievous dream in all exotics. And in the sixth, number nine, adversity. Anything around seven to two or so feels fair. So that is Thursday over at Saratoga. Let's head to Thursday at Del Mar. Before we do, have to let you know about full service realtor Cindy Carava. She's down at Del Mar a lot of the time. Cindy can help you out in many different ways. Buying, selling, leasing, connecting you with the right type of people, lenders if you need help with a loan, vendors if you are just warning, uh, worrying about home improvement and you want you know, to get connected with a, a painter or a landscaper or a gardener, someone along those lines. You can find uh, reviews about Cindy uh, all over the internet, Yelp, best way to get in touch or just to check out all of her listings, all the work that she's got, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's get into Del Mar for Thursday. Get those past performances out for Del Mar for Thursday, August the 12th. We're going to begin in race number three with the number seven, Blame It on Rose. So we got Maiden $32,000 claimers, two-year-old fillies, five and a half furlongs the distance. Blame It on Rose debuted against Maiden Specials at Belterra. Then came over to Del Mar, came into the Bob Hess Jr. barn, and debuted out in the Southern California area for uh, his first start out here, second career start, and brutal beginning. Got crushed on both sides, got pinballed around, was like five or six lengths off, was in between horses, and was just in a bad spot, and never really had a shot after that beginning. Got a little bit of action, was five to one. Uh, They're trying to figure out where she fits, so they'll add the blinkers with her here. They drop her down a little bit in class. I think she's just got a little more upside, and she's more interesting to me than most in here. If she's anything around seven to two, I think that's a fair uh, price on the number seven. Blame it on Rose in race number three at Del Mar on Thursday. Let's get to the fourth. I'm looking at the nine in here. Uh, Ulutheria. So the dam, one going long on the turf. Three siblings so far for this filly. Uh, All three, one on the turf. Now, the barn doesn't start a ton of horses. They just don't they, they, they're not starting hundreds and thousands of horses every year. Uh, but they're really capable with the horses they do start. So there's not a huge sample size for them with first-timers going long on the turf. They've actually only had three first-timers going long over the last five years. But one of them did finish third and was only beaten three-quarters of a length. I just feel like this is a capable barn. This is a horse who's bred beautifully for the turf. The post concerns a little bit because it's a first-time starter with a wide post, but, you know, if that might be built into the price a little bit. So if she's anything over or around 5-1, to one, that's where I, I feel like she should be. Um, I'll use along with the 5 and the 6, so a logical runner's there in, in Peace Haven who was uh, damn one a couple times going along on the turf. Um, Dendera obviously is a, a contender trying the grass there for uh, for awesome connections in, uh, in Sadler and Pratt. But I'll use the 9, play the source to win a little bit if we can get anything around 5-1. to one. We move along to race number 6. Let's talk about this uh, Calbred 
turf race now Shout out to the 9 Miss Carousel Who I actually bet last week Some of you follow me on social media See I posted She was 78 to 1 I bet 20 bucks to win on her And she uh, she ends up winning And she won like at this level So it's a great spot for her If she's able to draw in She fits really well Look at her turf sprint races That's what she wants to do The horse who I, I, I like uh, Maybe a little more though in this race um, Is Square Peggy So Square Peggy her turf form is actually pretty good. A couple starts back, she ran into a horse named Miss Important, who had won three in a row, really sharp. But you only see one grass race on the page, and that's against Open Company back in April at Golden Gate. Now, Square Peggy was a step slow from the rail, about four lengths off, moved right up behind the leaders on the inside, and then tried to move inside, but got shut off and was just traveling well and could not get through until late in the stretch, at which point it was just too late. That was a tough group there. And dig a little deeper. Go back and look at some of the other races on the grass. Her turf form is sneaky good. She can sit off a little bit, but she has speed. Been facing open company, now back in with Calbreds here. Horse who loves to win a good spot for square Peggy, hope they get aggressive with her since she's drawn down towards the inside. The number two, and we'll use along with the nine if the nine draws in. If Square Peggy is anything around six to one, I'll make a win wager there. She's twelve to one on the morning line. I had her pegged more like a five to one shot. We move to the eighth. We've got optional 80 first level allowance mile on the turf course here. And this is a, a strong group. You have a couple horses who could have taken a shot and run against Stakes Company, but are probably try, trying to use this prep, hopefully, to run in the Del Mar Derby at the end of the meet. The one, <clears throat> Hockey Dad, who comes out of the ocean side. The two, Crew Dragon, who comes out of the ocean side. Um, neither one of them would shock me. They did not run poorly in the, their races. Um, the nu- Numero Dix for Sadler is intriguing, the import. But the horse who I like the most in here, I'll use on top of the ones I just mentioned, and I'll play this horse to win. If he's anything around six to one, is the number nine, the Hulk. So he came into the Simon Callahan barn on July the 17th and raced to Del Mar for the first time. It was his first start in a couple months. He hadn't raced since March. He bobbled, he got bumped a bit at the start. He was la it was ninth, the third from the back, about eight lengths off. And he moved to the inside. He was up to about five off. He started to travel really well. But he ran into some traffic He waited inside He was about four lengths off He moved to the two path But by the time he got room It was too late And he was a little bit flat That was his first start in a few months His first start for this barn They're figuring him out The Hulk Got a little sneaky trouble in there too Anything around six to one or so feels fair We'll use the Hulk On top of one, two, three, and four In some exotics We'll play him to win if we can get anything around six or so So that is Delmar for Thursday Best of luck Wednesday and Thursday And we'll help you out with uh, Friday and Saturday racing From Del Mar and from Saratoga We'll probably get some uh, Arlington up in the mix too As they have a big stakes uh, day on uh, on Saturday Coming up this weekend So that'll do it for the racing portion of this episode um, We're going to move in and talk uh, Wrestlemania 30 With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali want to remind you about SarahCandles.com C-E-R-A Candles.com All natural soy wax candles Free from toxins, carcinogens, and pollutants That are found in a lot of other leading candle brands Use the promo code G-I-N-O And it will get you 10% off your purchase 
SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A Candles.com. They are better for you, healthier for you. None of those toxins. Promo code G-I-N-O. We get to the old wrestling rewatch. Daniel Bryan hot in the news right now. The biggest moment in his career happens at WrestleMania 30. What a night for Daniel Bryan. One of my personal favorite shows. Uh, Great match to start. Great match to end. Some fun throughout. And we get through everything on the WrestleMania 30 edition of the Old Wrestling Rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. Oh yeah! Old Wrestling Rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> the Old Wrestling Rewatch is back as sort of a part two of our two-part series uh, through 2014, through the rise of Daniel Bryan. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, we took you through Royal Rumble 2014, which was not a very good show, top to bottom, but it was a polarizing show and one that was fun to discuss because of everything that came out of that show. And just a few months later, we have, I mean, I think it's got to be in the top five, and 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 if anyone says that this was one of their personal favorite WrestleManias, I would not talk them off it because when you it's what's very interesting about this card is there's only seven matches on the actual card. And there are four lengthy matches. You've got a battle royal and you've got an opening segment that is awesome. Uh, and that takes about 15-20 minutes So it, it's not like Packed with 12 matches Like some of the earlier Wrestlemania's It didn't feel like they were doing Everything to just get people on the card And because this was the first Andre the Giant Battle Royal That actually felt like a pretty big deal I remember the build up to it And and feeling like oh yeah this might be A, a, a thing you know And they haven't done anything with it really since But at this point it, it felt like a big deal this is a really good show. There's not a whole lot of bad on the show. A few things that we'll nitpick, but um, you know, and even even the bad, like the Lesnar Taker match, for example, uh, DZ, not the greatest in ring quality, but a moment that people will never forget when they talk about WrestleMania. Yeah, this show has, uh, you know, for a wrestling fan, it's got it's got a little bit of everything. You know, you start off with. You know the the three biggest icons, arguably in the history of of well, I guess they probably are the three biggest icons in in the history of, of the company. Starting off the show, some funny humor that goes on with that bit, and but we'll get into. Uh, obviously, everybody geared up for for Daniel Bryan with his historic run, uh, and then of course, you know the un- at what at the time was the Undertaker's only loss at WrestleMania, which you know literally shocked the hell out of everybody. Um, and we could talk about some stuff related to that. Was it the right move at the right time and the right guy and all of that? But it, it really does. This WrestleMania encompasses a lot of good things about wrestling. It takes some of the old and mixes it with some of the new. And I think it does it pretty well. Certainly does it better than than we've seen in the last couple of years now. So uh, it's an enjoyable watch. It's it's only, you know, it's only seven matches, but it's still about a four hour, you know, almost a four hour show. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a, it's a very enjoyable watch, and I would say it's it's probably in the top. Oh, I would say seven or eight WrestleManias of all time if I had to if I had to put a label on it. 
That seems about right, Darren. I would certainly go top 10 for sure. I don't think that much can be argued. You have an all-time performance from Daniel Bryan, both in the opening and closing matches. Both of those are at least four-star matches, I think. For historical significance, you get the Undertaker streak being broken by Brock Lesnar. You also get, for my money, some of the great vignettes and preview packages, hype videos, whatever you want to call them. The one they did for Daniel Bryan against Triple H to the tune of Monster is an all-timer. With the footage of the... so good. uh, They're showing the... the, um, the tough enough footage. They got Ring of Honor stuff. They've got some of his early training with Shawn Michaels. You know, way back when he learned that was great. The Eminem Cena video. This is my legacy, legacy. Like that one gets stuck in my head over and over. That was really well done. Yeah, you're right. the The bells and the whistles of this WrestleMania. Like this is this is WrestleMania. Yeah, you could really feel it on this show. Absagosh darn lootly. And also it helped that it was a nice round number. So you got some history there. I'm going to throw this at you really quick here. Has there been a better Hall of Fame class than the one that got honored in 2014, at least recently? You get Jake Roberts, you get Razor Ramon, you get Lita, you get a couple other people, and you get the ultimate warriors somehow coming back. What? Just that sort of stuff. The bells and whistles were absolutely there. I love the way you put that. You get some decent matches, not just with the Daniel Bryan stuff, but Cena Wyatt was not a bad match. And I'm going to throw this at you here. Even though The Undertaker was in La La Land for pretty much the entire Undertaker-Lesnar match, that wasn't a terrible match. Credit to The Undertaker for being able to put something together that was coherent when he could barely stand Knowing up. what we know... And what we've seen from some other Way stuff. to go, dead man. My it God. It could have been a lot worse, right? Yep. Like, it could have. And just the shock value of all of it. Um, yeah, I, I, this is one of my personal... This For me personally, it's in like my personal top five, I'd say. And it's just mainly because the beginning and the end are so good. Like the first, the first hour of the show is basically that fun segment... With The Rock, Stone Cold, and Hogan And a really awesome opener with Daniel Bryan and Triple H That leads to something later in the show That was like, you know And for whatever you want to say about Daniel Bryan Love him, hate him I, I don't think there's really that many people that hate him If there. you hate yeah. Daniel it's Bryan, like how? Like I how? hate you yeah, like, I, mean, maybe I, you I understand that maybe he's not the guy you want As a long-term centerpiece sure. of the company But from bell to bell you can make the argument that he is the best of his era, both as a competitor and for what he can do on the mic. People forget he progressed a lot, and I mean a lot, as a promo when he was with WWE. Very good. He's like he's just very genuine. Um, he's very real. The Darren, you know, when I, when you think about this run that that Daniel Bryan went on leading to WrestleMania 30, and he's been. He came back and I think it was probably a little bit Disappointing for some people when he came back Because I think they kind of all just assumed like Oh we're gonna go right back into Daniel Bryan in the main event Winning all these titles and I don't know If it was a combination of him not even Wanting that you know he he kind of likes Putting a guys over and he kind of probably Feels like he had his his run or two but This run um, Where the fans got behind Him so organically I don't I Like has there ever been anything Like that Really in WWE I mean we've we've seen 
them get behind the people get behind someone before and and like them. Um, I I mean I don't I can't recall somebody that that wasn't like Austin or Rock, like uh, I mean Hogan. We're talking like the, this little period, this little stretch was as hot of a run as like almost any run in in the history of this company. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, the only other one you you mentioned the name that that I could relate it to in terms of the fans really driving uh, the direction of the character is Austin. I mean, yeah. Austin was a guy who was brought in with a goofy ringmaster gimmick. You know, Austin three sixteen says, "I just whoop your ass," and everything everything kind of went crazy, and the crowd literally themselves flipped him from a heel to a baby face without. You know Vince McMahon even really intending to do that. Yeah. Um. So you know from that standpoint, it's the only one that I could really compare it to. Now this is different because this is more of like getting behind the little guy, the guy who um, wasn't even really yeah. supposed to be there at all. Yeah, yeah. getting behind the guy who's going to get picked last at dodgeball, kind of kind of thing. Compared to Austin, where it's like this is the kind of character we're looking for, Vince. So it's a little bit a little bit different, but in terms of you know, how the crowd really pushed the character to get over and to get into this kind of spot. Those are the two that I would really, that yeah. really come to mind for me. Yeah. There's, there's one other one and it only happened for about five minutes. Punk after the yeah. pipe bomb. No, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, punk, yeah, yeah. Should, yeah. It should have been far longer than it was. No, you're right. But then we got Kevin Nash sending a text message to himself because reasons. <laughs> but so uh, you know, I just I like I like revisiting this period because um, it was amazing. It really was, and this is this is the kind of thing that wrestling is so cool. Uh, and, and when when you can catch lightning in a bottle like this, you know, it just it doesn't happen all the time. But it's a perfect storm of events from the year before at WrestleMania and the way Daniel Bryan had kind of been booked and held down for a couple years, and then he probably would go above and beyond having these matches on TV weekly much more than than other people would give. You know, he would, you know, they, they'd, they'd ask him for 12 minutes. He'd end up giving this 15-minute awesome comeback stretch at the end. He was doing really good work with Orton. Then he has the match with Cena. Then they turn Orton against it. I mean, it, there was a lot coming into it, and and it's, it's very easy when WWE does this to characters because let's, there have been plenty of characters through the years that I don't I don't know if they but they could have been a Daniel Bryan they could have had this role but the WWE would kind of just early on tell us nope that's not we're not going to get behind them and so the fans could kind of realize like okay you know they're just going to keep losing and it's fine this was one of the people that the fans just decided like we are going to dig our feet in and we we are just not going to let you do that with this guy and um and I, I'm glad because th- this was a really good show and this was a lot of fun and and. The, the show leading up to this and then Even right after curious what happened and Such a bummer that uh, that he got hurt But now I you feel a little bit better about it Knowing that he was able to return And he might still have you know Some left in his career if he shows up in AEW in a few weeks or whatever he does So um, Daniel Bryan this was Your night as we start with Wrestlemania 30 Like this package to start they, they go from talking about the like New Orleans lifestyle and everything, and then they go through the history of WrestleMania. So and then, cool. And then they preview the whole night of like the matches coming up. It's like that's such a hard thing, DZ, to try to work in everything. And this 
like you know you watch a big show like this one and you just or even like we felt like the, the last hour coming off of money in the bank even this year where the men's match was good and then that women's title match was good and then the main event it's when they do things at their best at the top nobody can touch them that's kind of why we get frustrated a lot of the time when they don't yeah well it's when there's so much potential and you've seen it realized before and when you fall short of that potential and sometimes you fall woefully short of that potential it becomes you know infuriating just like you know, a kid that you know is a very smart kid who can do better in school or Absolutely. Uh, an, an athlete that, you know, is not putting the work in and is not realizing their potential either on the court or on the field. It, it's it's the same thing. We've seen it at its best so many times. And when not only when it falls short, but when it habitually falls short or consistently falls short, it becomes infuriating. And, uh, and that's part of what being a wrestling fan is about, and it's understandable. Um, this is one of their better nights. This is one of the nights where it starts off with a high. It hits a lot of high notes along the way um, from start to middle to end. It may be different high notes. You know, the, the crowd may have conflicting feelings about the high notes, but it's damn good. Yeah, really yep. good. And yeah. uh, we get... The Superdome and the Pyro, 75,000 fans. It's Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JBL as our announced team. And uh, Hulk Hogan is the host. Big pop for the Hulkster. Which is I funny. know Darren was really, really pumped well, watching it, at home. It's funny because what this was like before a lot of the bad stuff had come out. Just right? before it, yeah. Because you could tell the difference. He just doesn't get these kind of responses anymore. You nope. know? No. Um, and he'll, he'll get... He'll always get a pop when people hear his music and when he shows up, but he doesn't get the deafening anymore like he used to because people are split. Uh, but uh, New Orleans was all about Hulk here. Um, so he comes out. He welcomes us to the show. Huge Hulk Hogan chance to start. And he calls it the Silver Dome instead of the Superdome right off the bat. And he doesn't even realize he's made a mistake. You know, he, so he keeps going. He was nervous. Hulkster. I mean, he was nervous here. His first few lines. And then he said it twice, actually. He said it again right here in the Silverdome. And and that's kind of when they started the chant. Um, it, Superdome. And I think when they started the chant, it actually kind of made him feel a little bit. Oh, like, yeah. He, he kind of realized, like, I messed up. And then he kind of laughed at himself. And then he relaxed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he was he was much better after. But those first... The first 30 seconds to a minute here, Paul Hulkster was just sweating and then realizing well, like he also called it the WWF F- network. Now, you're right. Yeah. He was like the WWFE. You know, he said he went he was so uh yeah, not not smooth here, but um he got it back and stone cold. We hear the Austin music and the place goes nuts. Austin comes down, and I think at this point, DZ, Austin hadn't been around all that much, too, right? Like, I think they'd been a few years in between. Yeah, this was a legit big, oh, shit, didn't know that was coming pop. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, this, and again, it's why the high moments in this particular mania are really good, because there were some surprises, some that were well-received, some that were not, but this was a, this was one of those moments where you put these three guys in the ring together, and it's just magic. 
<laughs> and you get Austin uh, coming in. He like rips on Hogan right away about the silver dome and, and Hogan's laughing. And then Austin just doing his Austin talking about whipping ass in the ring. He says, uh, uh, all the all the WrestleManias that Hogan was a part of. WrestleMania one. What? WrestleMania two. What? WrestleMania three. What? WrestleMania four. What? what? All the way through. All the way through, which is just great. And um, uh, Hogan's laughing. He's eating this all up. So um, Austin says he respects the Hulkster, thanks him for everything he did for the business. He says, uh, you know, to all of you WWE superstars to put everything on the line and always remember that Austin 316 said, I just whooped your ass. If you smell to the loop, what the rock is cooking. Here comes the rock and uh, you hear his music and just a, a huge, huge ovation as this crowd is now eating out of the palm of all these guys' hands. You got Hogan, the rock and Austin. And the one thing I noticed too, about this point. So all three of these guys, like very iconic um, entrance songs, but like you probably wouldn't say that they're the best ever. You know, like they're they're people love them, but if you think about great entrances, but what I love about all of them is they're like made to be able to play for like five minutes over and over while these guys celebrate in the ring and still kind of sound okay. You know, yep. and think think about all those songs. Like I can picture these guys standing after winning a big match. Celebrating in the ring for five, six minutes And the Hulkster's theme Doesn't really get annoying Austin's theme, it's just going You just hear it going around And and the same thing with The Rock It was just I would, Hearing him come out and like the slow walk to the ring And, and that that you hear it over and over uh, These guys, just the package with all three of them Made to be stars uh, The Rock um, Teases talking a few times But he doesn't start because the crowd is just going nuts before he keeps before he can even talk. Um, and then finally the rock talks and um, he talks about the five senses at mania. Can you feel it? Can you taste it? Can you smell it? And uh, he's just like oozing machismo as they would say for razor Ramon here. Like the rock was bouncing off the walls. The crowd was great. And I got to say, Austin's amazing and Hulk's great, but you just see how good this guy is on the mic when he comes in because he even feels like a level above both of these guys who are two of the all-time great, you know, guys on the mic to get the crowd pumped up. May I this... point something out really quickly? Please do. Do we think any writer even tried to write something for these guys? No. 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 Well, gee, I wonder why it was no. good. Let's mm-hmm. just have these guys go out there for 15 minutes, not say anything, riff on Hogan messing up the Superdome and the Silverdome, <laughs> and then just have them drink beer and go back. And all of a sudden, you've got them in the back walking past Triple H and Daniel Bryan going, follow that, even though none of the three guys took a bump. It was great. It was, you know, it was so good. Um he talked about how people have kids nine months after WrestleMania because The Rock <laughs> was electrifying them. It was funny. And uh, he mentions, you know, big names. And uh, he finishes up saying, if you smell what The Rock is cooking, then Austin said, and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. And Hogan did the, what you going to do? So, uh, yeah, probably the three biggest stars in the history of this company. And uh, they all had a, a moment with some beers, uh, a little beer. Cheer and a bash for the three 
as uh, just a great way to start the show and to get this crowd hot. And it's going to roll right into Daniel Bryan, Triple H. This was the video package that Andrew was talking about. But before so we, get, before so we get into that, um, DZ, uh, final overall thoughts of this opening segment. Yeah, just a lot of fun. Like you said, you know, clearly it's just it's just the three guys just, you know, bullshitting amongst themselves. And they just have to happen, happen to have, you know, 85,000 people in the room with them, uh, which is why it goes over so well. You know, sometimes some of the best work, whether it's in radio or TV broadcast or a scene like this, is when it comes off like three guys that are just kind of shooting the shit with each other and ribbing each other and poking fun, fun at each other. And that's what you get here. Um, you know, you have two of the best talkers in the history of the company with Austin and the rock. Uh, you put them in there with, with one of the, one of the franchises in Hogan. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to screw that situation up as long as you just stay out of the way and everybody stayed out of the way. And what you got was a monstrous shot in the arm to start off the show. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would have really struggled to follow that. And I know that's a very weird thing to say about a talking head segment that sort of previewed the card, but didn't really say anything. But that's the genius of these three guys. These three guys could read the phone book and it would be one of the most entertaining things you're going to see all night. This was fantastic. It was a tremendous way to lead into the uh, rest of the show. And it took a crowd that was already hot, brought it to another level Ahead of a match featuring the guy everybody wanted to see. That was really cool. This uh, package, we talked about it in the intro. The Daniel Bryan tough enough stuff, Ring of Honor stuff. Um, it was great. And and they do a really good job um, here, WWE does, of... So there's Wall, Hogan, and Austin, and Rocker in the ring... They're setting up Triple H's like elaborate entrance, right? So that way people don't have to sit there and wait 15 minutes with nothing. They did a really good job of keeping everything moving. There weren't dead spots throughout the show, which will sometimes happen when you have to set things up, big entrances, stuff like that. So just everything about the way they produced this show too, you could tell, was was really on the money. I think they I think there were one or two spots where you, they maybe ran along and they called an audible to cut things out, but that was fine. I don't think it ruined uh, those particular spots, and we'll talk about them when we get there. So, yeah, great stuff, and this video package was excellent. Um, Stephanie McMahon introduces Triple H, and he gets this huge entrance with the throne headgear, and then Daniel Bryan with the massive yes chance that everybody uh, could imagine, and the stadium, the way it looks with everybody doing the yes chance. That was the thing, too, like, you know, a lot of baby faces, um, People, it'd be cool to root against like a, a a white meat baby face like Daniel Bryan, but he's so damn good in the ring, and he's just so like honest and genuine. It doesn't come off like like he's a kiss assy, or he doesn't come off like fake. It's it's really hard to not get behind this guy, <laughs> like when they're when they're pushing him like this. So he's one of the best baby faces they've they booked in the last. While because it was really It was really like authentic It wasn't something that they even were trying to do I Well that's the thing I think they accidentally backed into this They did Oh yeah Oh yeah, yeah. I think when, when they did when, when they did what they did at You know the SummerSlam the year before Which by the way was brilliant How they did it I mean that sequence That was, that yeah, was so much heat that, Oh that was I mean that sequence Where Orton comes out 
And, you know, it looks like he's walking away and, and Triple H does his Triple H thing. And Orton comes in and he, and he just very, very gently takes the briefcase from Orton like a true heel, hands it over, and he just points at the guy and goes, ring the bell, yeah. ring the bell. It was so good and so well done that that moment created, or in part, created all of this. And I don't even think they meant to do it. They no. didn't. No. And no, they didn't. Because they don't. Every baby face, they will either lose too much, they will make them look too bad and wait too long to get their comeuppance, or they never even really get their comeuppance anymore. They don't know how to book baby faces that well. They can only book cool heels. That's it. That's like, yeah. that's what they can book, you know, yeah. and it's a bummer because. People will still get behind a good baby face like this when they're uh, when they're presented the right way, and the winner of this match will get added to the main event. So it's Daniel Bryan versus Triple H, and uh, yeah, we we had a, a just a great match here, back and forth, uh, kind of feeling out process early on, drop kick that sends Triple H outside, uh, a cool tornado DDT off the apron by D Bry. Um, he hits a flipping like a dive. Uh, onto Triple H, but he hits the, the floor pretty hard. Stephanie, you know, people love or hate Stephanie. I love Stephanie. She's great. She's I great. love her as a character. I don't know how you hate her as a character. She's phenomenal like, as a character. She knows exactly what she's doing and gets so much heat. And she's her her voice, the way she makes it more annoying than it is. And it she kind of gets puts that little screech into it. You're a B plus player at best. Good job, Abe. Good job, I mean, if you if you remember, if you remember when Roman had that first run as a champion, where the crowd was 50-50 on him, they were with him when he when he beat you know when, when he beat uh, Sheamus, yeah, because yeah. everybody hated Sheamus. But when the stuff was going on with Triple H, Stephanie actually got him over a couple of times I on f- Raw. You know the 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 scene the scene where where where. Her, where where she was in the ring with Roman just face to face, and 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 Roman like would just kind of look at the crowd and go, "You want to see her get really mad?" And he turned his back and just started walking away after she was like screaming at, at him to leave. Like, "This is my building, my ring. Get out, get out!" And he just kept standing there, right? And he says, "Like, you want to see her really get mad?" And he turns his back and he leaves, and then she starts to go, "Well, you get back here, Roman." Where are you going, Rowan? <laughs> and and he just starts cracking up, and everybody like it's amazing that like she's that damn good as a character that somebody so polarizing for that couple of month period when people were conflicted on what to do with him, she got him over in a couple of spots. <laughs> yeah, I mean Chris Jericho credits Stephanie oh, with yeah. saving his WWF run because yeah. he was feuding with China for a while, and the matches stunk, and there were backstage politics all over the place because. He worked fairly stiff and guys didn't particularly like it and a variety of different things. But when he started at doing these segments with Stephanie to where Stephanie would let him get one over on her, that's what revitalized Jericho and made people take him seriously, even though what he was saying was complete nonsense. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> Stephanie, uh, shout out as she was great in this match. Um, so now they're outside the ring, 
And they're fighting around the announce table Triple H is really starting to work on uh, Debra's left arm And uh, and, th- and this is the- Not only was the match and the action good This is like the best version of Triple H You know Triple H trying to have that long Kind of old school match Where he wants to be Harley Race And kind of pick out a body part But it, when he has a dance partner like this That's going to make him pick the pace up a little bit more Then it makes it It makes it even more impactful When he slows it down you know the change of the pace And so this is like as good of a version Of Triple H as you're going to find Because yeah. um, he all of he, all of his Strengths are really highlighted here and not As many of the weaknesses where he just You know there's a five minute slow stretch In the match you don't get any of that here You get um, Stephanie even mocking doing the Yes 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 Chances he's just beating on Brian Um Triple H uh, locks in the, the crossface uh, He's got the crossface chicken wing on Even um, And then Brian goes to, has to break it um, They start to Hunter starts to slow it down a little bit here Keeps working on the arm And we get a A tiger suplex Like Triple H is busting out some Crazy stuff here Two count um, They're battling back and forth We get a sunset flip into a power bomb a Running drop kick by Daniel Bryan Into the corner a couple times um, Triple H is going for a pedigree But Debry counters it, it Kicks to the head And everybody's going crazy with the yes chance Debry goes up top But uh, Triple H counters a headbutt And gets the knee up Then he goes for the crossface again Debry counters that into a pin attempt Then he hits the yes lock I mean we're just going back and forth here Action Triple H gets to the ropes And then he rolls out to the floor Debry won't let him uh Take a breather though uh, Flying dive outside the ring He hits him twice um, Crowd is just going nuts Big drop kick by Debry Then a HBK kip up um, Debry with kicks to the chest Roundhouse kick for two He goes for the running knee But Triple H hits an awesome Spine buster Then a pedigree And we knew Daniel Bryan wasn't losing But this was as good of a near fall as you could have In a match that everybody knew he wasn't losing I mean, great spot here One, two, Debry kicks out There would have been more trash cans thrown in the ring If that (laughs) happened Than what's happening happening at Chavez Ravine right now I know, right? I got my boys on in the background right now As we're watching Throw those trash cans at them Astros (laughs) This this was a Good mat. This was a good spot, and is was getting to the uh, the end of the match here. Uh, so Triple H, he's like looking around. He doesn't know what to do. He can't believe Daniel Bryan kicks out. Um, Bryan goes for uh, a cradle, but Triple H kicks out. He goes for a pedigree. Uh, Daniel Bryan counters with a back body drop. Um, knees to the face by Triple H, and but uh, D Bry slips out of the pedigree. He gets a kick to the face. Um, Brian counters a suplex And then the running knee Covers for the one, two, three. D. Bry gets the win This thing goes 26 minutes Just about And it wasn't too long Like it didn't feel like it was It, it told a great story I, People probably like Triple H matches better And you can find a couple that are really good This is as good of a version As Triple H as you will ever find In this match I thought he was incredible And for as good as Daniel Bryan is I really like tried to focus a lot On Triple H throughout this match And I give him a lot of crap But um, I thought he was really really good here y- You know this is As good of an opener um, You know you, you, you probably got the Brett Owen One that you can think of but 
maybe one or two others uh, in WrestleMania history that are better than this. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously because of what's on the line and, and you know, I mean, you know, what the crowd is anticipating, you know, how good of a seller and how good of a heel Triple H is. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in addition to some of the great moves in, that we see in the ring, that kind of half Canadian destroyer, half power bomb off the top rope that he hits on Triple H late in the match was fantastic. That moonsault to the outside where he jumps off the top rope and, you know, goes over the uh, over the ring post into Triple H is a great spot. But a big part of this story is the brutality of Triple H just going after that arm and and how when you work a body part like that and a, and a heel is working a body part like that in a story like this, it just adds to what is going on with the crowd and what is going on with the story. And then as the match goes on, and seeing, you know, the story on Triple H's face and the frustration that no matter what he does, he just can't put the guy away. And the the looks on Stephanie's face that go from confidence to concern, it's just so well done from start to finish. And it checks all the boxes. It's got, it's got the big high-flying great moves. It's got the great Triple H heel work, the great Triple H selling, especially in the corners. It's got the story of him going after the arm throughout. It's got the looks of concern from Stephanie, the frustration from Triple H. They couldn't, in my opinion, they couldn't have done this, I don't think, any better. Yeah. And, and for me, it delivered from start to finish across the board. And, you know, if somebody wanted to say that this was number one in terms of WrestleMania openers and they put it ahead of Brett Owen, I could see why they would. You know, yeah. I, I, would, I wouldn't go after them. It's, yeah. yeah. It's 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 a very significant match in wrestling history and WWE history, and it's a damn damn good match. Probably four and a half stars from that's me. where I had it exactly four and a half. Yep, it's at least four. I had it at four and a quarter, and Stephanie on the outside, I think, pushes it to another level. We talk about people who are not necessarily involved in the match benefiting the match by proxy. She did that as well as I think anybody ever could. You look at the heel work of guys like Bobby Heenan, Captain Lou Albano would do it as well. This was elite level stuff by Stephanie McMahon here. And this was so much fun from start to finish. I can't believe I'm the first person pointing this out, but three people you know are involved in Triple H's entrance. The three scantily clad women that are with him as he's on his throne are, of course, Charlotte, Sasha Banks, and Alexa, Alexa Bliss. Right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Fun little bit of trivia there. This is so much fun. The crowd is reacting for literally everything Daniel Bryan does. And that's insanely rare, especially even seven years later, because... I understand we were in a pandemic and crowds weren't around. How many guys on the WWE roster can you say that about? That everything they do gets a reaction. Nah. Roman, maybe. Yeah, and this version of Roman recently, right? Like not yes. Roman for a while before. No Rollins, not Cena. People hated. Now people like Cena again. But the, there was like a, this peak. This peak of Daniel Bryan is right up there. Now it's a very short time, but like this show and leading into this show, it is as comparable to any, almost anything. Yep, that's for sure. 
Now I'm going to throw a comparison at you that might make some people go, wait, what the heck is this guy talking about? Trust me. I have to live with me too. It's not fun, but (laughs) triple H took a lot out of the Terry Funk playbook for this one. One of the things that I've said about Terry Funk matches that we've looked at is he didn't really do a ton as far as elaborate spots, as far as all these intricate things. But every single thing he did mattered. And that's how you have to work when you're a little bit older and you still have the in-ring psychology down as much as Triple H clearly does. This was a Terry Funk match. That's pretty much the best thing I can tell you here. You're right. And if you and haven't that, seen the Flair Funk matches from the late 80s, it certainly seems it was as though... way more funk than Harley Race. And yes. that was the difference. He leaned funk because it was, it was quicker... Than, than deliberate like Harley is You know like yeah. it was quicker and, and focusing in on things and making everything Move that doesn't mean it's got to be fast But it just had a little bit more pace to it Than with Harley how it's just very Kind of slow and real Deliberate you know I, I exactly. like the, the Funk comparison Yep, And this was a really cool match Darren I'm going to take exception To one thing you said Wherein you said everyone knew Daniel Bryan was going over If you looked at internet wrestling boards that were there around this time, you you would see that there was a sect of people who were wholly convinced that they were going to use the main, the opening match at WrestleMania to bury Daniel Bryan and kill the yes movement dead because many wrestling fans are just a wee bit on the stupid side, but that's why (laughs) this worked. That's why this worked. That's why this worked. Because there was always the lingering, these guys aren't stupid enough to job Brian out again, are they? Are they? And then you remember what happened a couple months prior, where the only thing the Royal Rumble crowd wanted to see was Daniel Bryan, and they didn't (laughs) even put him in the Rumble. This was genius on the part of WWE to leave that little seed of doubt inside everybody's mind Credit to Triple H for bringing the working boots for this one. This was yeah. a really good opener. Really, really good match. Yeah, the, the reason I said that was because, it, listen, WWE will job guys out and do things that you either A, don't like, or B, don't expect in a lot of different you know, times and places, situations, but yeah. not in this spot at WrestleMania. This spot would yeah. not have been that. That's spot the difference. To do it. That's the difference. Hometown and I'm not on a Monday Night Raw when you're not, yeah. even when you still don't expect it. Yeah, that's when they'll do it. Now, I, listen. I, yeah. Would it have shocked me if, like, the next night on Raw they screwed him and took the belt off him? You know, yeah. I, no, because you know that's. They, you know, I could see Vince going, well, he got his moment. Everyone went home happy. And now we get back on track. Won yeah. that match, what the crowd response would have been in the main event. If it's Triple H, yeah. Orton, and Batista is like oh, those no. three versions of them is oh, all heels. <laughs> yeah, just, just, yeah, forget. I mean, that's kind of why you had to know yeah. that was, you know, that was not where this was going. But but to piggyback know. Andrew, you're right. He's two, uh, two or three months earlier. I will <laughs> say this. The 2021 version of Vince McMahon, maybe do he that. does. You're right. Maybe and you know he what's does. Funny? Ronda Rousey may be coming back for a heel run right now. She tweeted, I've seen you same fans chanting, we want Wyatt last night. 
We want beach used to chant We want beach balls over Bray Wyatt Performing if WWE Treated him like he was expendable It was because you ungrateful idiots did it First <laughs> yeah. She's she is she's with child though. Isn't I know. She? So, yeah, yeah. So. Rhonda has definitely got the uh, the hormones going right now. For, uh, no doubt about that. Um, she's feisty and firing back. Well, I just meant from the standpoint she coming back wrestling anytime soon. She's no, no, I know, I know what you mean. I know she's not like setting up a return next week yeah. or anything. But that yeah, was, yeah. that that was funny to see that tweet just a minute ago too. Um, great stuff. And then post match, just to continue it on, we get the post match. Stephanie slapping Daniel Bryan in the face And he's kind of laughing as as she's just Slapping him and then Triple H From behind takes him out Puts his arm against the post and, and Hits it with a steel chair so they really Get more heat and they really make uh, Daniel Bryan even more of a sympathetic Baby face moving forward So we are an hour Five minutes and 45 seconds into This show before the New Age Outlaws music hits to start the Second match <laughs> Just the second match Because we had that really long opening segment And, and then uh, we got this uh, Really good 26 minute match And I think this might have been the only match That I thought may have gotten cut um, and, and, I, and maybe it didn't Because this was all it needed to be If this thing would have gone Two or three or five more minutes Who cares The point of this match was to show you That the shield is badass And to put the shield over People that have a good resume in WWE Former tag team champions and Kane So you squash these guys They're part of the authority um, First up, the only thing that was kind of funny about this Is the New Age Outlaws make come out And they start doing their spiel But they get interrupted by the Shield Who comes out through the audience And then Kane comes out last So Shield looks cool here With their masks May they I point look- something out You mentioned the masks these COVID, right? This is like time. pre-COVID shield. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, "Wow, they look, they look. Those would have been hot sellers right nowadays." Uh, I was uh, gonna say WWE could have gotten fifteen bucks a mask for those. <laughs> so, I, I mean, this is you know, just, I have I have a fiend and a cane like mask for for COVID. I think I saw your fiend one. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I posted on Twitter. I, 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 went, I went into I, I went into my bank and I said, "Could you imagine walking to a bank with this and not getting thrown out?" <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, it's a good thing you still have it because it would appear as though they're coming back. Yeah, it would. It would. Yeah. Uh, I know. I know. And that's as far into the political talk as we'll go. Back to the shield. Yeah. Which I know. I always think it's funny with like political because it's like. When people are dying, it's more humanitarian. Oh, it shouldn't be. But it's it not like political. Is. It's like this is like a humanitarian issue. But uh, again, we uh we get to Reigns just on fire early on, oh, running he's so good in this match. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he does that running drop kick outside the ring. Oh, I love badass. that move. Love. Oh, it was great. He hits Billy Gunn and Red Dog at the same time. Superman punch. Um, then in comes Kane, but but Seth hits him with a flying knee off the top rope. Um. Roman with the somersault dive over the top He takes out Kane um, Then you get Ambrose Takes out Billy Gunn Then he throws Road Dog uh, into the, the Barricade outside um, Superman punch by Roman to Billy Gunn um, Ambrose and Rollins They hit multi- uh, simultaneous Dives and then Kane Tries to go after Roman but spear From Roman and then Roman with a double Spear on Billy and Road Dog They do the three man power bomb on Billy Gunn and Road Dog at the same time, this is an absolute squash. I don't think any one of the the heels even got a bit of offense in here whatsoever. Uh, three minutes, 
two yeah not even three minutes and this was good this is like this is what it needed to be they didn't really have much for these guys yet they were sort of not quite established single stars on their own and so hey you just put them over strong here over some veterans like this is a good use of of veterans yeah i and you can see in this match you know people got upset with the with the roman push for a lot of reasons but you can see in this match what they saw in the guy absolutely i mean he gets that tag in from ambrose and he does those two back-to-back kind of flying clothesline moves that hitting the ropes at a thousand miles an hour the clothesline into the corner comes out with the crotch top, the big punch, the Samoan drop to Kane, and then he hits like the one spear and the double spear. You talked about that, you know, double drive-by drop kick on the outside. I mean, he's just he's the centerpiece of this match, and it's very obvious what they're doing here. You know, they are putting him in a showcase position. But yeah, this this match was the Roman Reigns show, and you can absolutely see between the things that he did at the Survivor Series where he was the sole survivor and how he got the crowd reaction there, the big run he had in the Royal Rumble and what he does here. Uh, you know, especially when, you know, he, you know, they, he goes to that double spear and you hear the pop from everybody. Uh, and then you get that double, uh, you know, the double power bomb. It's, it's just, this match is short, sweet to the point, does what it's supposed to do. It's a lot of fun. It's fast paced. Uh, and it's, it's for my money, it is the perfectly booked match to follow what it had to follow. And this was a very, right. that's a good very point too. tough spot. You don't want to come right in. after that match with another 15, 20 minute banger. You, you got to find something that's going to let it breathe. But this had just enough of like, hey, everyone's going to get their big stuff in. So the crowd was, was going to be into it. Because I'll tell you, when you when you're going second, and they'll tell you all the time, you'll hear from all the guys, this is the spot you don't want to go. Because the opener is always booked to be you know, major talent in a major match. And it certainly was the case here, but they have the crowd with them from the beginning. And then at the end, when they get the two guys up for that kind of double or triple power bomb or whatever you want to call it. And all of a sudden for match number two, after what you just saw, everybody gets on their feet and you see the whole crowd come up when they get those two guys up, they hit it. You hear 80,000 people count one, two, and three on match number two, say what you want, about the booking of Roman and the way they screwed things up and the push and all that stuff. But there are reasons why he got that push and the reaction and what you saw in this match was a big part of that. Yep. Now, Gino mentioned how at the time they didn't really have a ton for him to do because this was after they had that feud with the Wyatt family. The Wyatts moved on to Cena. The Shield was just sort of there. But the very next night, in the main event of the post-mania Raw, the authority puts Daniel Bryan in an impossible situation. I forget the exact um, situation that was going on there, but it was some ridiculous handicap match, whatever. And it was one of those things where as a fan, you're going, okay, when does the other shoe drop? Sierra, Hotel, Indio, Echo, Lima, Delta. Oh! Out comes the shield. They turn full babyface. They wind up going against Evolution at Extreme Rules, and they have a tremendous three-on-three match with them that if you haven't seen it, you absolutely should. And then Seth Rollins gets a chair, 
Wax, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns in the back, and the Shield is no more. They had a lot more time that they could they have did. potentially used with those guys. And if you're going to turn any one of them heel, why isn't it the guy that you see as the main event star as opposed to Rollins? And who who is, is a babyface. He's the best worker of the three. He's, he's the guy the that baby actually face, yeah. He's the babyface worker and he's the smaller. Like so it it made zero sense because you want the bigger, more badass guy as the heel. You get Rollins as the guy who's works much more like a babyface, anyways. You know, it's just what much more natural roles for both of them. And we've talked about it a bunch now. It I really feel like that that has always set Rollins back. I yep. just I don't know if Rollins was going to be like Stone Cold Steve Austin. He wasn't going to be some like, you know, mainstream star, but Seth Rollins could have absolutely been this babyface for like five years, like a, a generational babyface for this company, like so this yeah, next I, generation. I thought about this as we talked about it uh, after the last show. And I did come up with something that it, this is a good time to pose it. And I don't know, maybe I'm giving the writers and everybody at WWE too much credit here. But Roman is the monster of the shield. Yeah. You know, he's the guy that's booked as the ferocious offense, the powerhouse that can also move and fly over the ropes and everything like that. Why would he need the authority to help him and get what he needs? Yeah. Well, right. I don't think it would be a case where he needs the authority in that instance. The Shield had just kicked their asses at Extreme Rules, right? And the Authority needed him. Needed him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They okay. say you come in, just sort of like you're right. Yeah. That's a that's a good way to put it. That's yep. a good way to put it. And it's a good it's a good counter too, DZ, because you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. as the big guy, he doesn't need help, right? Right. He shouldn't be the guy that needs a couple others, but um, he could be the guy that, like you said, they they need, right? They need someone and they go to him and say, you come here. We are going to give you all these title opportunities. You're going to be our guy. We're and gonna... all of this money. Yep, exactly. We give you, all, you the know money, all the everything and Rollins and you just continue to beat Rollins down. You make him sympathetic. And, and, and who knows? Like, I know I personally am a lot higher. I don't know about a lot, but I'm probably higher on Seth than most um, because I just think I see the way he works. He has figured out the WWE style about as well as anybody about how to work a really good, like four star match, you know, with with a bunch of different opponents all the time, and yeah, just it, it, but you know what? Counter that, like Seth isn't the greatest guy on the mic, you know. Maybe he wouldn't have been someone to really able to get a bunch of people behind him, but you can book a baby face. It's just. It's frustrating when I see this, like we said. We, I, the, other, the other thing that I thought is that it could have just been simple where, you know, I mean, how much foresight do these guys have when they make decisions? And they just said, look, it's a faction. Everybody knows at some point we're going to break up the faction. You know, there, there's going to be a blowout. It just happens, you know, in, with every faction in wrestling. And when you look at these three guys, everybody just assumes that the guy that we're going to turn heel is Roman. Maybe it'll be a nice little swerve if we yeah. don't do it that way. Yeah, that could have and been for, the thought process. I've not, little did they know they were screwing everything up for the next five years. Oh yeah, but yeah. but that could have been it. Maybe they just wanted a swerve. And we can crap on it too, you know, and, and say, but 
all three of these guys came out and had really good runs at different times. Oh yeah. I mean, Dean Ambrose, when they remember when they did that initial brand split? Yep. And remember how hot Dean Ambrose was for a while when he they won that title? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, he was huge for a while. Yeah. Dean Ambrose, and he had a, some good stuff with AJ. Um, Dean, like even leading into the Lesnar stuff. Remember how everybody wanted Dean to kind of be added into oh, that match? Oh like, God, the Lesnar match. Yeah, like oh, he was hot and that, and that hurt him, but everybody and, and Seth for as whiny, as annoying as he is, his stuff with the the authority was was solid and he's done Pretty good work even recently so they've all Done well it just maybe they could Have done a little bit better who knows yeah Yeah who knows? well they had another, They had another 18 months I would say in them I, I think I think it would have benefited All three of them if they could have kept That moving just a little bit longer And there were other things that they could have Certainly figured out and done with them I I, I thought they pulled the plug a good year to 18 months, or you could even say two years too soon on this. If I may pose a really cool hypothetical before we move on. Three months after this, Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, and Biggie, all three with nothing to do, all three on the verge of getting fired, form the basis of the New Day. Mm-hmm. Could yeah. we have gotten Face Shield versus Heel New Day you in could, 2015? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, awesome would, how awesome would those matches have been? Yeah, great, great. Yeah. yeah, and now I've just gotten everybody really upset. So I know. Yeah. There. Damn you, Andrew <laughs> Champagne. Damn you, Scuba Steve. As we uh, <laughs> as we head backstage, and uh, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter. They're playing Slam City with. Danny Davis, referee, dangerous. What a great Danny little Davis. head nod there. That was yeah. great. And then Ricky Steamboat comes in. Um, uh, somebody like a tech person said that uh, something gave him a cue. And then here comes DiBiase, who says that everybody's got a price. And then we, of course, get Ron Simmons, damn, coming in. So <laughs> this was, you know. I'm surprised that there weren't more of these actually at WrestleMania 30 for them just trying to get people in through the years. And it wasn't long. It was corny. It was goofy. It's, it was fine. You know, I, I didn't mind this at all. The one thing I will say is Ted DiBiase looked great here. He looked like he was in the early 90s. He looked he like did. the exact same dude. Good on he, him. He did. DiBiase's got a little, uh, a little run going right now on NXT too. He pops up in those grinds. Well, you and, know, when he's the million dollar man, it means you have a plastic surgeon on call. Yeah, <laughs> very true. So, uh, f- fun little segment, and we get ready for the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. And they were really building this thing up, leading into it. They were making a big deal about it. They had the huge trophy, made it seem like whoever won was gonna kind of get a big push moving forward, and um. I I remember being really excited for this. So we've got let's see what the full list of these participants were. I'll list oh them. Oh god, there's like 30. No, nah, there's th- there's that. 30. I'll just run through them real quick. Brad Maddox, Yoshi Tatsu, Brodus Clay, Great Cully, Zack Ryder, Darren Young, Drew McIntyre, Jinder Mahal, Heath Slater, Mark Henry, Titus O'Neil, The Miz, Santino, Xavier Woods, Damian Sandow, Justin Gabriel, Otunga, uh, Big E, Fondongo, R-Truth, Scene Cara, Tyson Kidd, Goldust, Cody Rhodes, Mysterio, Rey Mysterio, Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, Ziggler uh, Alberto Del Rio, Sheamus, Big Show, and then Cesaro, who ends up winning this thing. I thought I thought this was a really fun battle royal. 
I mean, I got to be honest. Like it's got more, it's got more, more star power in it than most of these do. These do. Oh yeah, absolutely. It it really does. It did because you could tell they were trying to treat this like a big deal. Um, the last six guys in this were Kofi, Cesaro, Del Rio, Rey Mysterio, Big Show, and Ziggler. Like that's not a bad final six. Like not at all. Um, I mean, it's funny to see like Zack Ryder just get eliminated by 3MB. It's funny to see 3MB now where Drew McIntyre is. The Miz was nowhere on this show. Santino nowhere. uses the Cobra and tosses him out. Um, we get been a Xavier the... Woods sighting here. Yeah, Miz was in the main event three years earlier, and he's yep. getting eliminated by Santino with the Cobra in this spot. Um, Cody, look at him and Sandow. Um, Big E. Before you know Big E was really They got behind him a whole lot Fondongo He eliminated Big E And then he starts to dance Then Sheamus eliminates him And just nails him with some of those big blows um, Big Show tosses out R-Truth Tyson Kidd gets knocked out by Del Rio um, And then Del Rio actually knocks out Goldust and Cody um, So yeah we're down to I think the uh, About six right here So Kofi Gets sent out by Cesaro, but Kofi pulled one of his spots where his feet were still touching the steps. That man is a treasure. He didn't hit the floor, which was really (laughs) cool. So he crawls back into the ring, um, and then he's on fire, but he runs into a Cesaro swing. Um, Big Show chokeslam Cesaro. Sheamus with the Brogue. Everyone's going crazy here. Brogue on Kofi. Out goes Kofi. Uh, Then Ziggler gets in the mix. Del Rio sends him out with a crazy kick to the head. Ouch. Del Rio and Ziggy, not not the greatest uh, history with kicks to the head with these two. Um, and then the final four, Sheamus, Del Rio, Big Show, Cesaro. Uh, Sheamus and Del Rio go at it. Um, they, uh, oh, Sheamus, like, has him picked up. This was kind of a cool spot, and it was just this, like, awkward where Sheamus thought he was going to throw him over, but they both go, like, bowling over. And so it's Cesaro, Big Show. And they go a little back and forth Looked like uh, Big Show was going to eliminate Cesaro He holds on And then Cesaro with just a straight Scoop Slam over the top on Big Show And this wasn't like Andre the Giant Wrestlemania 3 What does Jesse say? That was a hip toss Or what does Bobby say with with Yokozuna? It was a hip toss with Lex Luger Like this was a a clean Two-footed pick him up And throw him over the top slam I thought the book, I forgot how much I liked this 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 first year It felt like a big deal Like you said, DZ, there was some good star power here And this was one of those moments where it's like Oh cool, Cesaro's gonna get A little push, they're gonna get behind him Um, I, I really enjoyed this and it, and it wasn't too long It only went 13 minutes Yeah, when, I mean The whole the whole match is fun You You could tell like This is before like we really knew what this battle royal meant, which was like, you know, as the years would go on, not Nothing. a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, <laughs> um, it just kind of took up space. You know, you could tell the crowd is buying into the fact that whoever wins this thing is actually going to mean something. Um, but when when he throws Big Show at the end off the ropes and picks him up, the crowd goes nuts. <laughs> Like like the end of a Royal Rumble. Really? Bus. Like, yeah. Like they go insane. Mm-hmm. It you know, and I get it. Like to see him just it looked effortless to pick that man up and hold him and walk over to the ropes and throw him out. It was like, what are you kidding me? Like 
And a lot of people have said that pound for pound, he's the strongest guy in the company, you know, maybe next to Cena. Um, but I mean, this was just like one of those, oh shit moments. Like how the hell did that happen? Yeah. And the, and the crowd was into it big time, which watching it back was really, really cool. It kind of sad because we know what, what it meant, which is nothing. Nothing. And what this turns into years yeah. later, which is nothing. nothing. Pre-show but, battle royal. Yeah, exactly. But for this moment, it is pretty cool. I was going to say, it's a really good thing that this provided a launching pad for Cesaro to <laughs> yeah. become WWE's negative <laughs> yeah, <right>. star. <laughs> oh, wait. Seven years later, he finally gets his big WrestleMania win over Rollins, has one really good match with Roman Reigns, and now he's back in the mid-card. Cesaro, my God, he is so much fun to watch, and he does things that not a lot of people know how to do. There's some stuff in here that's pretty cool if you know where to look. Biggie and Kofi get an exchange in the corner. Again, this is a couple of months before New Day was formed, so they're basically just pairing off and doing random spots that don't necessarily mean stuff. But you get a couple of really cool little moments with Santino doing the Cobra on The Miz, and that ultimately knocks Miz out. Uh, The crowd gets very into Fandango as he's dancing on the apron, and and you just know it's not going to end well. And all of a sudden, here comes Sheamus up in right behind doing those really stiff forearm shots to the chest and doing way more of them than he usually does. I don't know whether that was a rib or if it was. Oh yeah. Cause I think it's the 10 beats the of the Bowery and he did the, yep. and he did 20 this time. Yeah. yeah it was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and he does not hold back on those. Those are legitimately stiff shots. So <laughs> poor, poor Dango there, but uh, we get Seamus and Del Rio eliminating each other. And then we get the slam spot with Cesaro The next night, he comes out and he says, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. This should have pushed him, pardon the Cameron Grimes reference, to the moon. And instead, they had no chemistry with one another. It helped neither guy. And they were back to the drawing board with Cesaro very, very quickly. It's unfortunate the way that it worked out. But this is a really, really cool moment. We then move on to the setup for John Cena, Bray Wyatt with a video package. This is another good one. Another this good is, one. I, I love this one. I was singing it earlier. This is my legacy, legacy, legacy. Uh-huh. And you hear it. Um, we get the New Orleans. We're here. And here comes oh, the Wyatt. Really quickly, family. really quickly, yes. really quickly. Wyatt compares Cena to a thoroughbred in there. They talk about how, oh, he oh, runs yeah. and he wins. And the crowd cheers it's for cool. him. And thankfully, they eliminate the second part of that promo, which is pretty much what you could imagine mm-hmm. as far as a thoroughbred meeting and untimely end. Yeah. Yeah. So this presentation, think about when we're talking about this. We're talking about this literally a day after Bray Wyatt got released, right? Was it yesterday? Was it two days ago? Two days ago, yeah. 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 So like right after, and you see this guy and this is another instance where, okay, you don't have to be a fan of Bray Wyatt to look at him and say, oh, yeah, there's a place for this guy in a wrestling show. Oh, yeah, <laughs> there's definitely a place for this guy somewhere. Like, we can use him in a million different ways. This guy can talk. He's animated. He can really act. He can wrestle a lot more than people want to give him credit for. The reason why he can't is 
the I don't want to say can't. The reason why we do, you know, we don't have a lot of five star matches for Bray. It's not part of the character. Right. It's not part of his character. It's like early Undertaker. Yep. You know, when early Undertaker was a dead man, and that was sort of this guy was it was all mind games. You know, um, and even this match that I think gets crapped on a lot because honestly, this might have hurt Bray. It might have. It's because um, the wrong guy won. Yeah, and 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 it's. You can t- you can understand why they would want Cena to win this particular match here because it, the way this feud was, Wyatt screwed Cena out of the title multiple times. So the the, the end of that feud is usually the, the baby face getting them cu- their comeuppance. It it just was unfortunate that it had to be in a big match like this at WrestleMania for Bray because it it this did take some wind out of out of the sails for him. Um, he got it back. He he got rejuvenated. There were different versions of Wyatt through the years, but yeah, this I think this did hurt him a little bit. And I, I'm not as hard on the match as some people. It's it's longer than I would like, probably by maybe five minutes. I think it's tw- it's close. To, it's 22 and a half. If you cut it down to like 17 and a half, I don't think this match would lose a whole lot. Um, and I do like the story. The story of this match is. You know, Bray's trying to get John to like embrace his demons. He's trying to get John to be the, the bad John, and he's playing like mind games and head games with him throughout. The crowd is singing the whole world in his hands right off the bat. Um, big clothesline from Cena. We got Luke Harper and Rowan distracting outside of the ring, and um, Bray's doing his creepy laughing. Like all the presentation around Bray in this match was really good. The way he was. Presenting himself I just think the match was a little long And people don't remember it fondly Because he didn't win um, He gets a suplex here Then here comes Cena back with a drop kick Kind of a slow pace early though you know. And so it's more about the story Early than this Classic in ring work uh, Chin lock by Bray And then here comes Cena back shoulder tackles Spinning suplex we get the uh, Five knuckle shuffle but Bray Pops up and does the crab walk Right in the middle which is a really cool spot That kind of spooked Cena a little bit um, Rowan distracts him So then Bray is able to take control with a power slam Then a running splash Cena DDT um, Off the, the middle ropes for two um, Cena goes up top but Bray catches him Power bomb both guys are down Then Cena goes for an AA again But there's a really cool DDT on the apron For two by Bray Um Cena goes up to the uh, They're up on the top rope He looks like he's going to jump onto Bray But instead he goes backwards And he takes out Harper and Rowan With the cross body So this was a kind of a cool spot He looked like he was going to go one way And then he faked them out And he took out uh, he took out the quote unquote goons outside um, Then we really get The crowd starting to sing again As uh, Bray is rubbing John's head in the ring And singing He's got the whole world what in the his, hell was that? Hands, right? <laughs> He's just rubbing it, singing. It reminds me of uh, the uh, Steve Buscemi character in Con Air, the the serial killer who's just sitting there <laughs> singing it. He's got the whole wide world, real creepy, like. And uh, um, he goes for a, a big splash, but he misses. Cena comes back with an AA real quick, but just for two. So. Um, Rowan and Harper keep distracting the ref And they're, you know, Cena has to worry about them Cena Ends up tackling Harper through the barricade And then Again, uh, we get that kind of upside down Crab corner pose 
Bray goes for Sister Abigail, but we get a counter from Cena into the STF. Uh, Bray goes, Bray's able to make it to the ropes, and then he hits Sister Abigail. Cena kicks out at two. So we've we've had every, both guys now kicking out of the finishers. Um, Bray brings a chair into the ring. He kick and then he gives it to Cena, and he he gets down and he he's basically begging Cena to to nail him with this chair. And Cena's kind of thinking about it. He ends up hitting Rowan, and Bray. Uses the distraction He gets a, a near fall And then it looks like he's going to set up for Sister Abigail But Cena hits him with the AA And the win 23 minutes You know dragged a little early Slow setting it up I kind of I like the story And I don't I don't hate this match I think it's like three Probably two and a half three And I, and I you know um, If you want to go lower that's that's fine I don't think it's bad though I think it tells it's a lot about telling a story here So um. Yeah, DZ, we're just stuck with this match. I actually, I, I put it at three and a quarter. Um, I yeah. recognize that this is not meant to be an all-star wrestling match. The point of this is to tell a story. Um, you know, I mean, I, I agree with virtually everything that you said. I have no sense to me just you know repeating it for three minutes. But um, look, there's there's two ways to look at this: the match and the story itself. Putting it in a vacuum. Like you said, the way the story went, the good guy is supposed to go over at the end of the feud. But it's Bray Wyatt in a spot where he could have really used the win and John Cena didn't need the win, obviously. So that's the other side of it. Plus, in a couple of months' time, Cena is not only is going to go over Bray Wyatt and five or six other guys when he wins the ladder match for the for the title. So if that was your plan, and who knows if they were actually thinking that two months ahead of time, Cena really had to win this match. So I get it. I get why people were upset. But I thought it was well done. Booking, however you feel about it aside, I thought the match did what it was supposed to do. I thought they did a great job telling the story. I thought all of Bray's mannerisms and facial expressions and everything that he was saying really got the crowd into everything. Um, I thought it was enjoyable. Uh, I really, I I don't really like to shit all over this match like some other people do, which mainly I feel Andrew is more of a results-oriented opinion rather than an overview of this entire feud and entire story. Sure. So, Darren, you liked the match more than I did. I didn't hate the match. I added it two and a half. It's fine for what it is. It's not bad, but it's slow. For a while, it doesn't feel like a blow-off match. Yeah, it feels right. like a raw main event. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that I will pose. I have been struggling ever since I watched this match for why I didn't like the storyline or the match more. I've been trying to figure it out. And you guys actually, right now, made me realize it. So thank you for that. Guys... We saw a very similar storyline two years before this with John Cena, where it was Kane telling him it was the exact to same embrace story. the hate. And it was it's right before the, the same Lesner, right? thing. Was it right before Lesnar or was it before The Rock? It, it was, was before, no, before the it was Rock. Before the, it was before right. the Rock. Yeah, Lesnar Lesnar is this time. Was this yep. that's after? Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's just for me. I understand you're going to recycle certain storylines every couple of years. The Jim Cornette rule says seven years. You can do that. This was two. 
and it while was I really similar, it was yes, really similar. It's dead on. The only thing Kane needed were two minions and overalls. It An just, ambulance it, match, right? Wasn't didn't they yeah, have one of those? I think <laughs> it was just. It was one of those things where I was waiting. And I'm going. Why don't I like this more? This yeah. isn't bad. Why don't I like this more? Oh yeah. Wait a minute. And then, as it turned out, yeah, because the stuff you guys were talking about with Wyatt was a lot of the stuff Kane was doing, too. And by the way, that's not an indictment on either Kane or Wyatt. Kane had an effective character. Bray Wyatt's character here was absolutely fantastic. The problem it's almost is, never an indictment on the, the performers in WWE. Right. It, and, and almost never. When it is, we will make and say, oh, they were. And it's only... And honestly, probably the only times that we we don't like someone is if they're not safe, right? Like, you know, sh- sure, if they've got a good, it, it, very rarely it's like if they're unsafe, that's what we're gonna we're gonna maybe. Per- Otherwise, it's always the story or the storyline or how they're booked, not ne- not the talent ever, or unless they turn out to be a scumbag human being. Absolutely, but, sure. Yeah. So this match is fine. There are a couple of really cool spots. I actually love the crab walk. That Wyatt did after the you can't see me very early on. I thought that was actually kind of cool. And most of the time I thought Wyatt's crab walk was sort of meh. I could take or leave. But Cena also gets a cool tornado DDT. Uh, Cena sends Harper through the barricade. The one thing I really didn't like. And this came off really hokey for me. Wyatt throws Cena a chair and challenges him to finish him. And they mic up the referee too, trying to make this seem like some horrific choice John Cena has to make that's going to alter the course of his entire career. No, it's not. John Cena is freaking bulletproof, and nothing he does in this match is going to change a darn thing about the way he's perceived, his drawing power, his merchandise sales, none of that. And that's why I feel the wrong guy went over. So. It's not like this match was horrible. It's not like I hate this match. It's just that we've seen the storyline before Mm -hmm. with pretty much exactly the same set of promos. And yeah, the wrong guy won. We get a look backstage at Daniel Bryan with his shoulder being taped up, getting prepared for the main event. And then we get the video package. Oh, this one was great too. The Undertaker WrestleMania streak going through all of the minute, different. Wait a minute, we've got we we skipped the Hall of Fame, yeah. and I got to tell oh, wait, you. Wait, 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 wait. Did was that was that in here or was it after? Was no, that here? it was here. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, this goes back to what I had said earlier, and I'm yeah. being particularly passionate about this because this was a really cool Hall of Fame class with several guys that you were pretty surprised were on the stage at all. Um, yes, the very first Hall of Fame inductee is Jake Roberts, who had been the favorite in every professional wrestling death pool from about 1994 onward. And not only is he alive, he's thriving. Thank you, DDP Yoga. We get Lita. We get Paul Bearer, who unfortunately had just passed away. We get Mr. T. Of course, if you have not seen Mr. T's Hall of Fame speech, throw that on in the background, take a nice little power nap. An hour later, wake up. He's still going to be talking (laughs) about his mother. mom. (laughs) Um, we get Razor Ramon, who was also in some touchy situations for a couple of years there, but thankfully is thriving. And we get the ultimate warrior. Darren, you're a warrior guy. I was a warrior guy. 
I never thought this was going to happen. And I have to believe, and I've said this on this show before, that the reason it happened is Warrior knew he was going to die. Well, I think he knew he was sick. I, I don't know. I mean, the the, the way he, this all happened is... You is, know, because he points to his chest right there. Do you notice that? No, he did, yeah. He never, and, he and, never and looked it, good, yeah. And it's not like... what What's difficult is that it's when the crowd is really receiving him. So he could very easily just be like holding his heart as like a thank you. You know, like that means so much to me. But the way he holds his heart and just knowing what happens the following couple days, it's just, it's, it's so hard to not look at at his body language and everything he does here and 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 read into it, right? Yeah. This this bothered me. It still does. It's very it's very difficult for me, and I, I don't know why this more than others. But I have a, this moment, the Hall of Fame speech and the Raw, especially the Hall of Fame speech with Warrior. Um, I have a very hard time watching it and not getting emotional. And and I'm I'm sure part of that is is as a father, um, where especially in the Hall of Fame speech, where he's got his two little girls, they they walk out with him, and they give him these cute kisses on his face and his nose, and he says the line during the speech that you know the 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 best thing I'll ever do is be your dad. And and that always just like really puts a lump in my throat as a father in that here in this moment, you have these two little girls who are probably beaming with pride, you know, seeing their dad up there in this unbelievable, you know, situation, uh, getting all of this pomp and circumstance and all of this praise and having all of this pride and love and affection for their father and knowing that in in 48 hours or 72 hours he would be taken from them it just bothers the hell out of me as i'm sure it would a lot of people but i i i don't know what it is about this one in particular there's been a lot of you know tragic moments in wrestling in a lot of different situations this one is at the top of the ones that really really bother me so there are a couple of stories in here that i'll tell very quickly and then we can move on to the streak which is its own particular topic So Hulk Hogan tells the story of how when he was brought in to host WrestleMania 30 and they brought Warrior back for the Hall of Fame, he was essentially told, don't you talk to him. No, because, of course, those two had had heat for, my goodness, 15, 20 years at that point. Well, Hogan was driving a golf cart, as he says it, during rehearsal for the show. And when you're at this rehearsal, they're going for several hours. So you get stir crazy. So he's got this golf cart and he's driving all around the Superdome, not the Silverdome, the Superdome. Superdome. And all of a sudden he wheels around the corner and he sees Warrior just standing there. And he says, stop. He's getting driven around and he stops. Gets out of the cart and they have, by all accounts, a five to 10 minute conversation where Hogan says, look, I know there's been a lot that's happened here. I know that there are certain things I wish I could take back. I just want to tell you, I love you. I appreciate you. It's this five, 10 minute thing. They wound up hugging. It's on the warrior documentary that the WWE network did. I don't know if it's on Peacock. That's a whole other thing. Jake Roberts mentioned a very similar Uh, conversation with warrior 
where he initially wasn't sure he wanted to go into the Hall of Fame if Warrior was going in with him because they didn't like each other. But they had a conversation that weekend, and according to Jake, totally different guy, case where he felt guilty for harboring so much resentment to the Warrior. Which, which had to do with the down. Warrior screwing up. They were supposed to main event some shows, I think, when Warrior was champion, and it got screwed up, I think, and it cost Jake quite a bit of money. I think that's what it goes back to. It, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. So those are the two stories there. The story I have is that I was working for HR TV at the time, and the day after WrestleMania was the start of the NAB convention in Las Vegas. And we actually went, the digital media team for HR TV, we went to this thing, bunch of different technology stuff. It was going around seeing everything that we could potentially use that ultimately we wouldn't use because, hey, we got bought out the next year. But I remember this, and I will never forget it. I remember I was sitting at a poker table at what's now the link in Las Vegas. It used to be the Imperial Palace. It was the quad for a while, whatever. Well, they had a really bad poker room with some very bad poker players. And I remember hearing the Ultimate Warriors music over the sound system. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking, okay, that's weird. Because usually when you're in a Vegas casino, yeah. you're getting popular but inoffensive soft rock music Leon <laughs> lose use somebody exactly for a while, that sort of thing you're not necessarily expecting to hear unstable by Jim Johnston the dun 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 well I get up from the table during a break and I've got a text message and I forget who it was from I wish I remembered but it said ultimate warrior died mm-hmm. and I said what and as it turned out, somebody at the link was an Ultimate Warrior fan yeah. who had just heard the Ultimate Warrior wow. passed away and played the music. Jeez. Deeply, deeply weird. But and, yeah. this, this was a Hall of Fame class that I would put up against pretty much any. When you take a look at the accomplishments of the people that were in it, this was really, really cool. Then we saw the Daniel Bryan backstage segment uh, yes. as he was getting ready for the main event. And then that really good video package about The Undertaker. And of course, like you would imagine, um, it. so we get the stage filled with caskets, which was kind of cool. And there was 21 with Lesnar's name. Uh, there were 21 with Lesnar's name on the one with uh, 22. And his entrance took over seven minutes. From the from the from the moment when he first uh, stepped out onto the stage to where he took off his hat in the ring, I think I clocked it in at just under seven minutes and twenty seconds. <laughs> so uh, you get the Undertaker entrance, and we get Brock Lesnar versus the Undertaker. Paul, by Hagen the way, Lesnar, Lesnar is yoked. Yeah, <laughs> yoked. <laughs> yeah, this is the Brock Lesnar you don't want to see on the other end of a dark alley. This no. is the Brock Lesnar. Where if you're having trouble with a terrorist group overseas, you clone <laughs> him a hundred times and you just drop them in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Talk yeah. about adding to the uh, the match here with Paul Heyman and some of the facials and the looks and some of the things that he's adding. Very much like what Stephanie was doing earlier in the match with Daniel Bryan and, and Triple H. So um, Lesnar's in, on the aggressive right off the bat. Belly to belly, clothesline Undertaker goes over the top He comes back in, he throws Lesnar into the steel And then they're outside the ring 
Um, we get back in the ring, and Brock hits the post with a shoulder. Undertaker had moved. We get uh, the leg drop across the throat of Lesnar here, and Undertaker goes for the choke slam, but Brock fights out of it, and um, Undertaker gets out of the F5. He pushes Brock into the turnbuckle. He misses the big boot, and Brock works over the leg, and they're going at it at the floor. And this, I think, was was the spot where he got the concussion. Yep. They're going at it at the floor on the floor, and Brock picks him up by the leg and kind of slams him down hard. And it looked like he hit hard on the mat, like he the outside the ring. So that, and then, then he's you know, he's just out of it. You know, Brock's in control. Um, they go outside the ring again, and and he's just complete control. Brock here hits a suplex. Um, he bunch of punches, and and the announcers start talking about how Undertaker doesn't look good. Um, he hits a DDT um, in a corner clothesline, and then Snake Eyes in a big boot. So he's still unbelievably able to do some of these things. How? How? I know. What the hell is going how? on here? Like, how is he doing this? Choke slam by Taker. Um, then Lesnar hits an F5 for two. Um, Undertaker goes for Hell's Gate, but Lesnar powers out of it. And um, Undertaker does get it in this time in the center. Um, we get Cole one talking about, is Lesnar going to be the 22nd victim? In uh, e- Even though I, I wrote this down and because I, I, I read this on, uh, on a different recap somewhere else. They said it's funny. Cole mentions that he would be the 22nd victim, even though Triple H has lost a couple times in Michael's, you know, multiple times when you go through well, all the, the entire uh... count is wrong because <laughs> in addition to those things, you also get the fact that there was one year where there was a handicap match. Yep. Yep. So it's it, it's it's bonkers. It's, it's, it's imperfect. But you know what? It was uh, it was fine. So they're both down and out. And Lesnar locks in the Kimura Undertaker locks in uh, his Kimura um, Which gets uh, Lesnar to go to the ropes for a break So we get a boot to the face by the Undertaker It is pretty crazy knowing how early in this match that he was out of it That he was still able to go through the motions and do some of this stuff He goes to the top rope for old school But then Brock counters it He puts him on the shoulders He hits another F5 This was a cool spot Taker kicks out Um a lot of people thought that was it It really looked like it was going to be it A couple German suplexes from Brock And then the crowd starts like Realizing uh oh And an Undertaker chant like they, they're trying to To get Taker here And uh, Brock um, and, and Heyman have a little conversation And then Brock starts going at it Punches the Taker um, He uh, to- oh, Taker does the, uh, the, the Powerbomb spot in the corner And then the tombstone that did not look good Not at all It just was off And Lesnar kicks out here at 2 So that was probably where a lot of people Figured Undertaker would win And in Heyman's doing the real great facials And real great responses To all these near falls Taker goes for the tombstone again But Brock rolls through He picks Undertaker up on his shoulders He hits another F5 This is the third one and the one, the two, the three, the streak is over. Twenty-five minutes, and Brock Lesnar gets the win. And the the response from the crowd is one of the things that I will always remember from from the end of this. I mean, just a hush. They did not think this was going to happen, DZ. No, no, it, it's it's a wild 
it's a wild match knowing after the fact, you know, what we know happened. Because there's a good nine, ten minutes in the middle of the match where Taker could barely function. Um, and and you have to figure that whatever the script was for the match kind of went out the window. Because I, I highly doubt that Taker was supposed to spend that much time basically on the ground just kind of getting kicked and stomped. And they're just doing the same kind of three or four things over and over because he's out of it. Because he's not exactly. They're just literally going through them. It's just yeah. kind of all of their big spots. You're right. I mean, he rolls. He rolls outside of the ring at one point and is holding onto the the you know the barricade, just trying to stand up. You know, his legs aren't there. He has no clue what's happening. Um, and then you know they finally figure, okay, we need to go into a sequence of moves here to try to get us home. And that's what they do. And, you know, after Taker kicks out of the first couple of F5s, you kind of figure, all right, well, you know, i kind of seen this story before. You know, it's, uh, you know, Taker's going to keep kicking out. You're going to get these false finishes. And eventually, somehow, some way, this is going to turn into probably Taker hitting one one good tombstone and, and the match is going to end or something like that. Um, I mean, that that's at least what I thought when I was watching it. But... When they hit the three on, on that on that third F five, I was just I remember my reaction was just like, wait, what? <laughs> and and then like there's just this hushed silence over the crowd, you know, and they, they wait a they wait a few minutes before they, you know, announce the winner. And I mean, it was so well done from that standpoint. It really captured the moment very well. Um, but yeah, it was it was fairly shocking because at this point I figured Taker wasn't going to lose a WrestleMania match. And if he did, it was going to be was, his last match. And it was not Brock was not now he didn't win. Yeah. And well, I will say they did a good job of at least capitalizing on it. Right. Because with the, the stuff with Cena where he goes out and just afterwards dominates him. and, yeah, and yeah. what they do after, because yeah, Brock was, you know, think about where we've seen Brock before this over the last couple of years. Stuff with Triple H, stuff with Punk. Um, he wasn't this unbeatable guy, right. though. He was never treated that way. He was treated like a badass, you know, but he he wasn't being built up like someone we thought would beat The Undertaker. Think about through the years, we thought it might have been a CM Punk, or we even thought Bray Wyatt, or who's he going to pass the torch to, right? It's going to be some younger guy that can get something out of it. It didn't seem like Brock needed anything out of it. Um, so I in I don't know if he was the right guy, Andrew, but at the very least, they did take the win over Taker and turn Brock over the next few years. Hell, even now when he shows up, a lot of the reasons why they made him into that unbeatable guy kind of came from this here. Say Taker goes over here. The person that ends the streak winds up being Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that works. I think you get a situation where the go away heat gets even worse. You're, with you him might be right. Until yeah. he's used properly. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of this when it happened. I understand why they did it. And in hindsight, Looking at the promo that they aired before with Heyman, first of all, Heyman has two tremendous lines here. Leave it to Heyman for this. This was great. Line number one, the affirmation he seeks is your contempt, your disgust. What more do you want from a heel? Perfect. That's what you want. 
You want somebody that feeds on someone not liking him. Perfect. That's an effective heel right there. Perfect. Then he says 21 and one. And then the smallest number becomes the biggest. Like this is stuff out of the Jake Roberts playbook here. It's not like he's yelling. It's not like he's shouting. But everything he says draws you in and makes you want to see something. Take notes out there if you're taking promo notes for some weird reason, as opposed to like being in a wrestling school, you're listening to wrestling podcasts. Take notes. Now, this match as a whole, you knew they were in trouble when, despite the fact that before Taker got knocked silly, it was decent, the crowd was sort of sitting on their hands. Even the first three or four minutes, you're going, uh-oh. It's a case where, like, they almost said, okay, yep, there's The Undertaker. We saw his entrance. The entrance is cool. Come on. Let's wait for him to tombstone this guy so we can get to 22-0. Come on. There we go. It's almost like they thought, okay, yeah, there's no way Taker's losing at a WrestleMania. Taker gets knocked out, and it's kind of a miracle the dude can do anything. He can barely stand up. And that's why they had to do the stuff with the Hell's Gate for as long as they did, because they had to cover for the fact that one guy was in La La Land. Now, they still do a couple of really cool spots. That old school into the F5, that's really cool. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Completely forgot about that spot. We forget that this match didn't suck because of the narrative that surrounded it with Taker losing and getting hurt. Well, the match was not bad. One of the things that I found really remarkable, though, is that you can hear in the announcers' voices that they know something is wrong. Mm -hmm. So JBL tries to cut one of those annoying smarmy heel promos about a gladiator going out on his shield, whatever. The story goes, and I don't know if I believe this or not, but Michael Cole has said this, that he didn't want to be smartened up to any of the results of any of these matches at WrestleMania 30 before the show. So when he says, calling it a little early, aren't you? You can hear him almost thinking, there's no way they have the streak here, do they? You, you can hear him. It sounds like he's a fan wait, saying, wait a minute, they couldn't possibly be doing this here, could they? And as it turned out, that's exactly what they were doing. Now, when Taker kicks out of the F5, out of the old school, you hear Jerry Lawler go, how did he do it? He's not saying that because Taker kicked out. He's saying it because he knows Undertaker's on Dream Street and was somehow able to make that spot work. It's in a level of appreciation for Mark Calloway that a lot of workers had. And when this match ended, and when Taker had the tombstone reversed in the F5 for the pin, grown men in the audience were gobsmacked. Their jaws were on the floor. These were guys who went to the show knowing what they were getting into, thinking they knew what was going to happen. And they start a bullshit chant. And this ticked me off because where was that crowd energy during the match? 
Where was that energy when Mark Calloway was trying to piece every single thing together, despite the fact that he knew he needed to go to the hospital because he could barely stand up and function like a normal human being? I understand that if you're in the arena, you don't necessarily know that. I know watching a stadium show on TV comes off a lot differently than when you're there and in the cheap seats. That didn't sit well with me. All in all, though, this match is far better than I remembered. This match is far better than it had any right to be, given the state that The Undertaker was in for much of it. And I am thankful that The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar had several matches down the road that were much better than this. They had matches at SummerSlam and Hell in a Cell. They were good. 2015 that were amazing. One of those matches is the source of one of my favorite gifs where they do the match and laugh on the man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was That's really a great cool. Spot. Both of those matches are an easy four stars. Those were probably the last great matches of the Undertaker's career. Mm-hmm. It just stinks we couldn't get that kind of match here. There's um there's a really cool um kind of Q&A on YouTube with Heyman from probably about five years ago now, four or five years ago, where uh, a, a fan who calls. Oh, I saw this. Yeah. Yeah. Who talks about, or not calls, but he's there and he, and he talks about like why Lesnar, you know, didn't need to be the guy that put him over. And Heyman um, kind of goes into, you know, why it was that way and basically talks about, you know, what, what do you, what do you do in wrestling? Everybody in wrestling complains when stuff is predictable and it's boring and it's repetitive. You know, how do you shock people? Well, you do something that's never been done before. You know, nobody went into that arena thinking Taker was losing. And how do you how do you get the reaction you get? And he goes into a, a what is a, a well look, Heyman for you know dollars to donuts is one of the smartest, most articulate people in wrestling. Um, ever, and he, maybe not even in wrestling. Yes, ever. Uh, ever, yeah, and, and and he gives a very intellectual response that is probably too good for me to paraphrase and parse mm-hmm. his, his statement down into thirty seconds. But I think it's like five minutes long. And if you're interested in hearing uh, some of the thought process that went into why they did this, just type in like Heyman Lesnar Undertaker, and it'll pop up as one of the first videos where you see. Heyman with a microphone in his hand. Uh, and he goes into some good detail about why the decisions were made uh, for this particular WrestleMania. And uh, it's interesting. And, it, and it's, good, uh, it, it's good to hear his side of it. And, and he makes a compelling argument. Whether or not you agree with it is one thing. But you can understand where they're coming from. Huge moment here. <clears throat> one of the all-time iconic WrestleMania moments. Nobody thought this was going to happen As he gets back to his feet we get Undertaker Chance all the announcers kind of Spoke in the serious voice about the streak Ending they stood up and they applauded Undertaker and the crowd did Standing O and the 21 and 1 Graphic appears on the screen As uh, he makes his way out We get an ad For Wrestlemania 31 By the way before we go to the next thing if you're Wondering if we're playing this up a little bit or not, and was Taker really in that bad of shape? There is some behind-the-scenes footage from this mm-hmm. WrestleMania where Vince and others are rushing to Taker's aid backstage, and and Taker gets in an ambulance and goes to a hospital, uh, and talks about the fact that he wakes up the next day and has absolutely no clue what happened, yeah, and can't yeah. even remember 
from like three minutes of the match onward. Has no idea what transpired, what happened, has no recollection of anything. So, yes, it was that serious, and no, we are not playing it up at all. All of which begs the question, how the heck was this watchable? Right. I know, how could he get through that? How could your muscle memory just figure? Because if you want to see what's supposed to happen to you when you get a concussion during a wrestling match, watch Look at Goldberg. Goldberg. Match see Goldberg yeah, in Saudi see Arabia. Goldberg. Yeah. But that's what's supposed to happen if you get a concussion during a wrestling match. Just uh, incredible stuff here from The Undertaker, able to pull this one out. As uh, this this poor next match, too. Like, I completely forgot about this. This Divas yeah, title. Thing. This uh, came on and I went, oh, Eva Marie. Oh. <laughs> this is a 14-person match with one fall. Yep. Anyone could get, could pin anyone and they're the new champ in a 14-way match. Vicky Guerrero was kind of trying to stack the deck against AJ. This is uh, Oksana, Alicia Fox, Brie Bella, Cameron, Emma, Eva Marie, Layla, Naomi, Natalia, Nikki Bella, Rosa Mendez with a really blonde hair. Summer Ray and Tamina Nobody was getting booked here at all Like they even had a remote chance in hell to win AJ would had just been dominant for a while in this division And I mean this is This thing went 7 minutes It could have been 30 seconds Really it, it would have been the exact same thing I mean we get nothing out of this And I feel bad because they're all trying There's nothing They're trying But they're, none of them are have been presented Like they're a big deal on TV, so we don't really have a reason to feel like they are. They're obviously putting this in a real cool down spot before the main event that's coming up after a huge moment that everybody still is like shell shocked from. There was just nothing to get up and excited about in this match, unfortunately. Um, like Natty does a tries to do a sharpshooter on three girls. Um, everybody's just getting in spots. Emma does a couple goofy things. Eva Marie pushes Tamina down. Bree and and the Bellas go flying over the top rope. Um, that was kind of a cool spot where they went flying together. Um, Nikki hits the rack attack. Layla and Alicia get in the mix. Natty, some offense here. Um, Naomi knocks Tamina off the top. Then Oksana follows up with power bomb. Uh, and Natty hits a power bomb on Oksana there. This is a Tower of Doom spot that just was just. It takes too long to set up and develop. You know they look cool but you have to have the right kind of workers and this just this match was unfortunate this was one of the situations that they tried to get everybody on the show and if you're going to talk about a, a low point of the evening this was probably it for me uh because this was just nothing like nothing what happened the next night on raw was far better than this oh yeah <laughs> you know oh yeah and and by that we talk about you know Paige just showing up at at Raw after, you know, coming out of, uh, was it NXT yet at this point or was it still? Yeah, it was. It was, it was just very starting? early NXT, yes. Yeah, so just coming out of NXT and, and not only showing up on Raw, but but defeating, you know, AJ after the run that she had. It, it was, that was a pretty crazy moment when we look back and think about how that all transpired. And um, it's funny, and you could ask the question, like, would that moment have been better served for WrestleMania? I don't know. Um, I guess, you know, the situation that they put her in probably on a raw was maybe putting her into a WrestleMania spot would have been a bit too overwhelming for her at that point. Um, but they thought enough of her to put, put a belt on her and have her go over AJ. But yeah, I mean, this match, you know, it's just weird. 
The whole premise to it is strange. You know AJ's winning. She's not getting beaten this spot. And uh, like I said, the more interesting thing was what happened the next night on Raw. So I actually, I think, liked this a little more than both of you did. Uh, now, that's not that's not going to take much. The, <laughs> yeah. the, the caveat is, you mentioned this was, what, six minutes there thereabouts? Seven, I think, yeah. Okay. The last four minutes are a fun sprint. The problem is it took three minutes to clear the ring and give a setup wherein each competitor would get 20 seconds or so to shine. And from the spot where the Bellas clear the ring and go through the ropes with the dive, that spot onward, it's a fun little match because you get the Bellas imploding. You get Nikki hitting the rack attack on her sister. Alicia Fox gets this tilt-a-whirl backbreaker that I never knew she could do, but that's a really cool move. Natalia gets this double underhook suplex. Tamina takes a great bump off the apron to the floor, and I like the Tower of Doom spot. I know it's a little bit manufactured, but it's at least a pretty cool visual when you have that sort of thing going on. Now, was there any doubt who was winning? No, but take the 14 women that are in this match, cut it down to six or so, and have that five-minute sprint? Absolutely. it would have been fine. Give me Natty, Tamina, Emma. The Bellas and AJ. Naomi. Yeah, sure. Boom. Yeah, and that would have been fine. The problem is it took too long to set up, and the Mm -hmm. crowd was just having absolutely none of it. Before we progress any further, I must say that Naomi and Cameron are my fashion MVPs for this show because of their amazing multicolored furry boots that they were wearing during this match. If you have not seen them, watch this match and take a look. It's it, They ought to have carried signs that say, do not adjust your set. And I don't think either woman ever wore those boots again. Just a, uh, yeah, 14 woman match. There was, a, there was one line when when at the beginning of the match where I think Michael Cole asks JBL, like, you know, JBL, you know, you've had experience in matches like this. And JBL says, Michael, I've never been in a 14 woman match, which just made me laugh. You know, it was like, okay, you know, that was just kind of a quick, quick one from JBL. But yeah, not a whole lot here uh, to love. And it really does show you this is 2014. Since this, we've had two women's matches main event WrestleMania. Yeah. And they were damn good. And we've had other matches that didn't main event that think about almost every year what we've had charlotte and oscar charlotte and oscar charlotte and rhea charlotte becky and sasha charlotte becky sasha charlotte and rhea in the pandemic mania even last year how about ronda rousey in the mixed tag with with stephanie with kurt angle like every year we were getting just good combinations of women stuff really from here on out. So mm-hmm. and this was one of the last times where, where the women weren't treated very seriously. Um, or I guess you could say um, it was like an AEW show. Um, and I'm going to get some crap for that one. I know that as we move along to the backstage segment, this was fun. We got mean gene and poor Paul Orndorff who recently has passed away. He didn't sound great here, but, um, but he had a tremendous mustache. He did. He did. And, you could almost tell that 
I think Mean Gene was getting a little worried Or somebody was telling him to, to speed up or- Orndorff Because Mean Gene was kind of like Trying to finish a couple of his thoughts But this was fun This was like recreating the main event from Wrestlemania 1 Hogan was back there Well you know something Mean Gene Rowdy Roddy Piper interrupts him with Orndorff And they talk about uh, You know how Hogan's hosting the show And um, they talk about Wrestlemania 1 And how everybody's still Gets uh, gives Orndorff crap because he lost that match, and then uh, Pat Patterson shows up and tells them to calm down. He was the ref. Mister T's in the corner of Hogan, so they're standing. It was just cool. It was you know nostalgia, sad, a little sad too. It, yeah, but but you're right. With, sad what happened see. with Orndorff and everything? Yeah, yeah. Um, cool moment, but yeah, you're right. Again, very. This was just a few weeks ago with Orndorff, where uh, where he passed away, and we know that he just. He wasn't in fantastic shape. Um, I mean, really, it, early on, things start things happened poorly for him when uh, his muscles atrophied and he just didn't go well. But um, it was cool to see him on the TV here and and give everybody a, a little uh, remember what WrestleMania One was all about. Yeah, it, it's a really cool spot. It's a nice nod to how this all started. You know, it's sad with Patterson and Piper and Orndorff, and like I said, especially. You know, knowing how the last few years of Paul Orndorff's life and, and and all the physical difficulties that he dealt with. So there's some certain, you know, melancholy aspects to this. But it is cool. It's a nod to the history. And, and they did a good job of that throughout this WrestleMania, I thought. Yeah, the thing that I'll add before we move on is I love the last little bit of it. When Piper takes that little extra couple seconds to shake Mr. T's hand, because hmm. those two did not like each other. No, there was a not. legitimate dislike from Piper to Mr. T, with Piper thinking Mr. T didn't respect the business, thinking that he shouldn't have been anywhere close, thinking that you always keep an amateur with him because there's not a lot that he could really do. But ultimately, he shakes Mr. T's hand and then does the fake cry into a hug kind of thing, even at that stage. And Piper did not last long after this either. I believe he died the very next year, early in 2016. I'm not sure which, but this was one of the last times we saw him. And even then, he was a master showman who knew how to work a crowd. And then we get sightings of a couple of other legends before the main event. And I know I'm jumping a little bit here. Did anyone else bust the gut laughing at Bob Backlund in costume in the yeah. audience? He was <laughs> hilarious. I don't. I love whatever that he man. Was trying to do the, the faces he was making. He, he was like, it was like he just had a warhead, one of those sour <laughs> ones. <you know? laughs> I nice. don't. He was. It was hilarious. He he was funny. And anytime Bobby B's on my show, I'm a fan. So who do we we saw? What Bruno? Harley, Bob Backlin, Dusty, and then Brett. Brett, Brett with a huge pop. Huge pop. Yeah. You know, because he, he of all the ones that they showed, he was really the WWE guy that most people would know. You know, Bruno yeah. was a little before most people's era. They got a pop there. But yeah, Brett was very well received uh, in this spot. And I mean, even, everything about this show, like the entrances, where I don't, I'm not usually a fan of the, you know, live music on a, on a show, but. I don't mind when it's playing someone to the ring. That that's when to me it sort of feels okay. It kind of sure we had we had some that were interesting and even even everybody in the main event's entrance felt big. First it was Orton. I think uh, the band is called Red Theory. That was I have sick. a story on this. Oh, go oh, ahead. Here please. we go. Let's hear it. 
So Rev Theory, who sings Randy Orton's music, the lead singer of the band at this time was a man by the name of Rich Luzzy. Now, the funny story about Rich Luzzy, and this goes back to my days as a New York City DJ in another life ago. Rich Luzzy was originally a Long Island guy with the spiked hair, tape up, typical Jersey Shore hairstyle, steroid looking body with the sleeveless tee, who sang one of the more, at its time, popular kind of almost a cult classic big club dance songs in New York City. And he had this kind of raspy voice that you never really heard with that kind of music. And the name of the song was was Without You. And it was just this wild song with this crazy ass beat in the background. And basically it was just Rich Luzzy going, you're the one that I love and I can go on without you. That's basically the song. And it's like 12 minutes long. And it's one of those like bass thumping, you know, middle of sound factory club anthems in New York City from when I was like 17 years old. And now you cycle back, you know, 15 years forward or whatever it was, 12 years forward. No, about 15. That's about right. Where at the point in time, I had no idea that Rich Luzzy was the lead singer of this band. And I'm watching this WrestleMania 30. Now, Rich Luzzy was a guy that I had met a few times as a DJ in New York City. And this music hits. And I'm just kind of like watching. I'm like, oh, wow, we're going to get a live version of of voices pretty sick you know and all of a sudden like they put the the video up of and i'm like wait a minute i know that guy <laughs> that's rich luzzy <laughs> <laughs> so now i like jump on like my phone and i start googling and sure enough i type in the band and i'm like holy shit lead singer of rev theory rich wow. luzzy same freaking guy <laughs> wow Yep, that is cool. You know, That's you know, you, awesome. you know, you're googling Rich Luzzy without you when we get done here, and oh, you're yeah. gonna listen to that song, and you and you, you know, wait, you know, can we do this? Can we, can we actually maybe we'll give we'll give the fans a musical treat. Okay. They're gonna they're gonna die because nobody else other than me knows this. But when I play this thing through the microphone, you guys are gonna laugh your ass off. I mean, it is it is so good. It is so good. Like it's it's so it's literally. That's the beginning. It's literally a club song. Now let's fast forward. This is the beat. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> nice. That wow. is yes. Wow. What a small world. Yep. And and it's hysterical because when I saw him, it was it's like all of like the lights in my head just clicked. Like I don't freaking believe it. It's that guy. <laughs> wow, that so cool. It's that amazing so how we have these stories with stuff right? that we talk and, about. And now. I was gonna say we'll all we all have one or two random ones here and yep. there. Yep. And that was uh yeah, what a, it just felt it felt big for all of them. And um uh, Batista's out next and then Daniel Bryan last and Daniel Bryan as he makes his way down the crowd just By the way, I still hate the champion coming down first. Me too. I, I hate it. I don't Always get it. Always should I be last. It. Yep. Always should be last. I don't care who's winning, who the baby face is, any of that. Always should be the champ last. 
Um, so this is no count out, no DQ triple threat match. Randy Orton, Batista, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's a uh, hot early. Hurricane Rana sends Batista outside. Then Orton goes after uh, right after the injured arm. A backbreaker by Orton And uh, he knocks Brian off the apron Then we get Batista and Orton going at it For a little while They're working outside into the announce table Into the barricade uh, Into the steps Back body drop onto the steps here Batista bomb attempt But um, uh, Orton um, uh, It gets broken up Uh, Brian gets back in the mix now too And um, just kind of back and forth all three of them It's got a good pace all throughout the match too And now Debry with his kicks on both guys Ends up getting Batista right in the head Then Orton with a big overhead suplex on Debry Batista spine buster Brian with the running drop kicks On both guys as they're standing in opposite corners He's going back and forth from one to the next um, Top rope Hurricane Rana by Debry And then Batista suplexes Daniel Bryan out of the ring Orton and Batista go at it for a little bit Here and Then Daniel Bryan looks like He's about to gain the advantage And Triple H and Stephanie come down to the ring And Hunter pulls the ref out uh, To break up a submission And then Batista hits a spine buster On Debry and the dirty Ref Scott Armstrong Shows up And uh, Batista hits a Batista bomb and The the ref, it's funny. He's supposed to be the ref that's out there to for the fast count. He does a totally normal count. It's like not fast or anything whatsoever. It, it was like the Sting, uh, Sting count, Halloween Havoc. Was that or start? Was it Halloween Havoc '97? When or what was Starcade? Starcade '97, yeah. right? Yeah, where he's Although supposed to. Win. I, what I will say is that was the other count that Scott Armstrong was known for. Was at Survivor Series. When Sting made his debut, yep. they did the one count. The lights went down. If you're Scott Armstrong, why do you stop counting? <laughs> <laughs> he needs to get a, a referee that knows how to cheat. You're you're right. He needs to read the rule book one more time. Um, so uh, Triple H, he's got the sledgehammer, and uh, Brian knocks it out of his hands. And he hits Triple H in the head with it And we get a roll up by Debry on Batista For two, Orton comes in and breaks it up And then Orton goes after Daniel Bryan Ramming him into the barricade we, uh, Just awesome action Batista clothesline and they're really working On Debry right now We get the Batista and Orton spot Where they work together on the Announce table and it's funny because As, as they're working together We get a CM Punk chant the crowd is like they wanted Punk It's not like they were chanting CM Punk to to Because they were unhappy With the match or they didn't want Daniel Bryan To win they, It's like they wanted CM Punk to make the save It's almost like people thought he was going to come out at this time And make the save um, So they call it A what uh, RKO ball what do they call it uh, I, I can't remember what, what uh, Batista bomb into the RKO I thought Cole had something more creative for it But I guess not um, It was a cool spot and they bust through the table Monitors all over the place And it looks like Daniel Bryan is going to get stretchered out We know what's going to happen here He's being tended to by the doctors They put him on a stretcher And Batista and Orton go at it for a while And the crowd chants Daniel Bryan And Daniel Bryan pushes the doctors away He gets back into the match And uh, Orton's kind of working slowly over Bry for a while But then Bryan with a comeback we get the yes lock on Orton. Batista breaks it up. And then the yes lock on Batista. And Orton breaks it up. It's just like some of these spots were really good. Little back and forths here. 
um, RKO uh, by Randy to Batista for just two And it looked like it was going to be the win there Orton's getting ready for the punt But here comes Debry He comes in and he hits the running knee to the face of Orton Then Batista throws Daniel Bryan outside the ring He looks like he's going to sneak in and take advantage for the cover But only for two The crowd is just electric right now This is awesome We get a Batista bomb on Orton And then Daniel Bryan with the running knee to Batista It knocks him down Debry locks in the yes lock And Batista tries to fight it But he cannot He taps out Daniel Bryan clean as a whistle Right in the middle of the ring Gets Batista to tap out At uh, 23 and a half minutes or so If you thought the opener was 4 plus uh, This is right there with it I had this one at 4 and a half also And um, what an unbelievable performance From Daniel Bryan When you think about what he did on this show Having two four star matches One to open one to close Bookend them with completely different opponents um, Phenomenal Phenomenal stuff from him DZ and just a great way to end A really good Wrestlemania Yeah it's it's tremendous And this is what we talked about where predictable can be good You know You're watching this you have to imagine And I know I that there was no way They were putting Daniel Bryan in this match To not win it would make no sense whatsoever. Not to say that Vince doesn't do things that make no sense. But again, typically on this night in this show, that's not what's going to happen. I love everything about this match. The only thing that I would have added to it, I think they did the RKO spot a little too late. What I would have done is I would have scared the hell out of the crowd when Brian was on the stretcher. Before he gets off it, the spot where Orton hits the DDT on on Batista or goes for the DDT on Batista, I would have made that an RKO. I would have made that an RKO out of nowhere and scared the hell out of the crowd with Daniel Bryan on the stretcher going up the ramp. Because um, you could have seen possibly if that's like the way you're going to screw him, you're going to screw him with the guy on a stretcher, right? Um other than that, I thought everything about this was great. I thought they added every possible, injected every possible piece into the story. Scott Armstrong, Triple H, Stephanie, Batista, and Orton both double teaming Brian outside, you know, the, having him almost leaving the match. I thought they did everything extremely well. That was my only thing that I would have added to the match and made it a little bit different. But that's just splitting hairs. That's literally the only thing that I could have suggested for me. Four and a half, four and three quarter stars. Phenomenal ending to a very, very good WrestleMania. Darren and I are agreeing way too much. I had this at four and a half as well. And I'm going to pose something to both of you because I know you're both Randy Orton fans and I like the guy. This is Randy Orton's best match ever, right? Probably. Yeah, uh, he, he was I good mean, in this match. Yeah. He was the, re- him and Batista, I got to give it up for both of them because, yep. you know, they both were super professional in this match for guys that they could have very easily been pissed off that things changed for them. Right? Yeah. Like um, this was supposed to be Batista's moment to shine. Randy's probably going, oh, really? You know, they both worked their asses off in this match. Yeah, they did. And Randy Orton has had great matches. He had, of course, the quote unquote greatest match ever with Edge <laughs> that I do think is a four star match. 
greatest match ever. No, really no. good match that you should go out of your way to see. One that definitely was about 100 times better than their WrestleMania last man standing marathon that I think just ended last week. Yeah, absolutely. But, he, had, he had a couple of bangers with Christian, too. Yeah, he did. It, Randy Orton, a very good worker when he wants to be. When he doesn't want to be, it's not pretty. But thankfully, it would appear as though he's grown up after a number of stories early in his career that, by his own admission, were not flattering in the slightest. You put this match over his match with Cactus Jack with the barbed wire you know, and all, and all the tax and all that stuff. Yeah, that yeah. it's a great match, but the, that stuff just doesn't really do it for me. This does. All right, so I'm just asking because Orton here. Orton talks very highly of that match, so that's why. Oh, I brought it's it a up. great match, yeah. and it's it's Mick Foley and Randy Orton. You've got right. two ring psychologists there. That's going to be a good match, but yep. this I think is the best match of Orton's career. Now, Fair enough. You take a look at this match, and there's so much stuff going on. For starters. Brian makes his entrance. And while the crowd is very loud for Daniel Bryan when the bell rings, Brian makes his entrance and the crowd's pretty dead. Thanks, Brock. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, like that, it did. It killed the crowd. And it's almost like they had to be reminded wait a minute, the guy we want to see win the world title is about to win the world title. We should get the energy going again in the building. There we mm -hmm. go. So there's a great spot early. Uh, Randy Orton counters what was supposed to be an Irish whip from Daniel Bryan, but doesn't whip him. He just jerks him down by the injured shoulder. Great spot. Terrific stuff. And that's the sort of thing that you want from somebody as far as psychology goes, because why the heck would you whip somebody across the ring if you could attack the shoulder? Very, very simple. So you get that. We get what I think is the best sign of the entire evening about midway through the match with someone putting up a sign that would undoubtedly be yanked away from security in today's environment that says roids plus skinny jeans equals scary. That is, of course, <laughs> referring to the way Batista would show up for some of his promos. Now, that's unfair to Batista because he works his butt off every time he comes back. Now, sometimes that doesn't work. Hi, Triple H at WrestleMania, how you doing? But in this particular run, he was great. And he doesn't get enough credit for the role that he had in getting Daniel Bryan over. Because he comes back, wins the Rumble, goes to the main event at WrestleMania. It obviously isn't necessarily what he was promised. Then they have that match Extreme Rules with the Shield. That's a great match even though the crowd takes over and starts chanting blue Tista halfway through because Batista's gear is all blue and it looks sort of ridiculous. But this guy can flat out go. He had a number of matches with The Undertaker that were excellent. He had a number of matches with Jericho that were very good. There's a lot going on with Batista that he doesn't get a lot of credit for, even though... He did a lot to get better as he went along to become a terrific promo to setting the world on fire as this big guy that sometimes pulled off being a whiny heel. I, the stuff with him in the wheelchair, classic promos. So yeah. in this particular match, Brian gets the crowd behind him. We get the Triple H Steph run in and we get a CM Punk chant because the rumor was that CM Punk 
was coming back for WrestleMania and would do a run-in like what Steve Austin did for Mankind when Mankind won the title on the episode of Raw with Austin running in, laying out the rock, and then leaving to sort of even the odds against the corporation. And that maybe would have worked, but I think this worked better. I think what we got was Daniel Bryan rising up against literally everybody, including what turned out to be a reformed evolution to get his moment and win the title in an excellent three-way match. This is four and a half stars for me. Just a terrific showing from Daniel Bryan, both at the start and at the finish of this show. The confetti rains down. That's always a really cool shot. His sister and his niece come into the ring to celebrate. Unfortunately, Brie Bella, who was his girlfriend at the time, now wife, was not allowed to go out and celebrate with her husband. I think that's a crock, but really cool way to end a good WrestleMania. This was good. This was really good. And um, it, I'm trying to think, this is the best WrestleMania recently, right? Can you think, is there a better one? Well, 30, 31 right after it's really good. Yeah, yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah. We did 31. Problem, 31 might be the, better like start to finish there might be a few more like solid things throughout because you know in the middle of this show it there's some fun moments but like there's the shield thing is nothing much you know the scene of why it's fine lesnar taker it's good it's fine but it's more of the moment the the women's stuff is nothing the battle royal is actually really fun but it's not it's probably not as as rich in like just quality depth great five star stuff throughout but that and, and WrestleMania 31 has the greatest RKO of all time. On a serious note, though, it's tough because no matter how good the recent WrestleManias are, and a number of them are very good, they're just so damn long that you can't rewatch them. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, Listen, the one at MetLife Stadium, it was... That just know. ended a couple of days ago, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was... The only way I could explain it, like, you were literally, like, as each match ended, you were literally counting how many matches were actually left. And I remember at one point, I was like, there's still six matches left? Like, it was like, we just saw, like, Roman coming back and he beat Drew McIntyre. And it's like, there's, like, five matches left. (laughs) And now it's, like, 11 o'clock and the main event hasn't even started yet. Those, like, the women in that match had no chance. That crowd was exhausted. It got cold at night, and if Vince didn't learn something from that night that you can't have an, a seven-hour-long pay-per-view, I, I don't know if he ever will. Um, I've heard that they're going back to one night again next year with the crowd you know, coming back to full effect. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's – yeah, I, four hours, call it a day, figure something else out. I don't know. Put some stuff on Raw the next night that you were going to put on the Mania card. I, I, I don't know. What it is, but you can't you can't do that stuff anymore. What you do is you do the stuff that doesn't matter on the pre-show. Yeah. You save the main stuff for the main show, and you make it a tight four hours. No nonsense, no nothing. Yep. You also don't need a 32-minute Triple H Batista retirement match. Now, now, let, let's not be too hasty. Triple H needs really? his moment. <laughs> not 32 minutes of moments. <laughs> so, um... Take a minute or two, DZ, because you're next up for uh, oh where we're, where we're yes, headed. Yes, like Goldberg, you're next. Where, oh where boy, we're headed next. Um, so yeah, I I like this one 
quite a bit, Andrew. And uh, this was your this was your pick the the Rumble 2014, and uh, and then into WrestleMania 30, we got to go on the ride with Daniel Bryan. And like we said, this was all before Daniel Bryan has recently been in the news, and we're kind of expecting him to show up on AEW one of these next few weeks. When CM Punk was the last time we saw him in 2014. Um, at the Royal Rumble too So very relevant couple of shows That we looked at in our last couple And I think you had a, a good selection What did you think about watching these two back? Well first of all I'm just clairvoyant And that's why I clearly picked these shows When I did because I saw Every single possible thing coming Clear as day Gino come on But at any rate now This was a saga That shaped a lot Of things about WWE Even seven years later because you get crowds hijacking shows, for better or for worse. This was the start of the Roman Reigns push, whether anyone realized it at the time or not. Uh, you still got some things that lasted until today. John Cena comes back still. Brock Lesnar might not be done. I still don't think we've seen the last of The Undertaker. I think at some point they're going to break glass with that and give him one last match in front of a crowd because the guy does deserve to go out in front of a crowd. Let's just be real about that. But you look back at this time period and there's so many things that at the time we thought they were getting right, but ultimately what's changed? You get Cesaro being made into a star. We think, no, not really. You get Daniel Bryan being coronated. How long did he stay at the top? And then how long was he away for not being able to be cleared? Thankfully, he was able to come back, of course, but you get the point there. CM Punk had just left two months prior to that. He's going to come back and be a far bigger star than he was even then because crowds miss him and they're not at all happy with the current product. It's a really strange scene. I'm happy we were able to do these two shows back to back. I appreciate you guys being flexible with me because we really couldn't do one without doing the other. And it's a story that we needed to tell at some point. So, DZ, have you uh, have you figured out where we're going to head? Yeah, um, I, I just wanted to kind of do a, a fun pay-per-view. Uh, we have SummerSlam coming up and I don't recall. I want to make sure we didn't do it. We haven't done 2016 yet, have we? I don't think so. No, I don't I think, think so. we have either. So no. 20, 2016 is the the last two matches on the card. It, it, it's a good show. Uh, it's got the AJ Styles-John Cena match. Oh, that's uh, the Lesnar-Orton one. Yeah. The, yeah, the Lesnar-Orton and the one with Balor and Rollins for the Universal title. Awesome. No, we definitely haven't done that one. Yeah. Yep. It's, a good, it's a good show. It's a fun show. Uh, and and I thought you know being in SummerSlam season, uh, it, it was a it was a good show to to talk about. That's got some interesting stuff and in a couple of good matches and what some people say is maybe John Cena's best match ever. So that's where we're awesome. headed. WrestleMania 2016 on our next no SummerSlam. SummerSlam, excuse me, SummerSlam yep. uh, 2006. I, I was just thinking WrestleMania. SummerSlam 2016 on our next uh, old wrestling rewatch. And uh, Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne. This was a lot of fun. Thank you both. Then we will be headed to 2016 next time. 
You can follow Darren at the track seven on Twitter. All of the uh, horse racing stuff, Indiana Grand stuff, Saratoga stuff, uh, great stuff for Twin Spires at all times. AndrewChampagne.com at Andrew Champagne. Give him a follow. Daily Saratoga selections over at the Pink Sheet. You got Champagne and JD that podcast. They did a live uh, over uh, at Woodbine over the weekend. Fellas, thank you both so much. Yeah, thank you guys, and uh, always a pleasure. Looking forward to. Talking with you next week, and we still got a month left of Saratoga season. So that's based on how Andrew is selecting. It's a month left to to make more money. Here's hoping, man. Uh, Lexitonian, if you're somehow listening to this on your horse racing radio, I love you. I love you very, very very much. Uh, Yeah, that was uh, was a fun day on Saturday, and we'll leave it at that. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, you hear them each and every week on That's What G Said. It was a good week for the the three of us. All three of us had a good last week or so. So let's hope. You know who else it was a good week for? Barry Spears, because he's He's back back. on Twitter, baby. (laughs) Our buddy Barry is back. He's out of Twitter jail. So we'll have some fun and we'll have to have a GIF and a meme off. Uh, with uh, with Barry. Thank God he can put his memes on Twitter instead of Facebook. My timeline is breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, and Gina Bocola here for another uh, old wrestling rewatch with you. Uh, don't go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more on this episode. WrestleMania 30. Let's see where Daniel Bryan shows up next. Big thank you to Andrew and Darren for helping us out. The uh, the quest. Of Daniel Bryan there in uh, in the WWE. That's going to do it for this episode, folks. Best of luck on Wednesday, Thursday with your racing plays. And if you want to continue to follow me on social media, it's me, Gino B. You'll get daily baseball plays over there. We talked a little bit about what's been going on in baseball later this week. We'll get you all set up for more weekend racing. We'll continue to talk about all the news happening in the world of, uh, of baseball, anything that's going on in basketball. There's summer league happening. We'll have a couple guests to talk some racing with us this, this week. Weekend. Coming up soon, Tim Kelly will be joining us. I believe the show What If is starting now uh, this week, the Marvel show on Disney+. Plus. So uh, always a ton here on That's What G Said. Best of luck, rest of your week.